It's another episode of Pod Like a Hole. And in this season, uh, Mark, Eric, and Steven are going through a list, a never-ending story, as I like to say. At some point, we're, uh, one of our horses did get uh, sucked into a mud pit. It was a very sad uh, scene overall. Uh, tonight, we are going to be talking about uh, an album, an album that I picked. This is Mark speaking. Hello, everyone. Um, by the uh, by, the band Faith No More. Um, it was released in 19-ish, 1992, yes, 1992, June 8th, and that album is called Angel Dust, um, and in order, if I sound a little out of uh, whack, a little discompobulated, uh, we had all agreed um, to really go method, and we all did smoke some angel dust before we uh, started getting on mics. Just to get in the headspace of what this album, I'm, I'm being told that the other three did not do that. No, the um, assignment, so, the, ass, the assignment was to stay up for five days straight watching televangelists. That was the method, which is its, oh, own, its own, it's its own, you know, version of weirdness. But uh, yeah, you just went ahead and smoked crack. That's, uh, how's it, <laughs> how are you feeling right now? I have the strength of 50 men, um, and I'm ready to uh, fight the LAPD at any point. Um, but uh, it's not just the three of us tonight. Eric, say something. Say something to your people. Oh, I was just hold on a sec. Eric's, Eric's internet is uh, still warming up. All um, right. Don't worry. Sorry. Lennox is pedaling hard in the living yeah. room. Um, That's right. <laughs> but uh, Eric, introduce uh, who our special guest is sitting with us tonight. Oh, Jesus I, I, Christ, I, hold on a second. Uh, fucking Mark should have said, introduce yourself. Who are you? It is just a matter. It is just a matter. It is just a matter. Staying on brand tonight. Introduce yourself. Hold on a and sec. Then, hold on a sec. He's not going to introduce himself because Eric's got to do a little preamble and then Eric can uh, tee it up with the introduce yourself. Right, right, yeah, right. Come on. Say, just got to say introduce yourself. <laughs> Never mind. Leave, All right. Just leave it for the cutting room there. Um, <sighs> hey, uh. So we got we got a, a friend, friend of the show. He's made a little appearance on bonus episodes and B-sides first couple seasons, but he's uh, he's been in in the conversation since the show began. Um, uh, uh, honorary fourth member of, of Pod Like a Hole, as he's done our artwork for two seasons now and continues to, to pump out new new dice roll artwork every episode for this season. Uh, very talented guy. Um, very talented guy uh, with the art, with the drums, with this and that. But he's a first and foremost a great friend and and one of one of my oldest friends. He is ninety two years old and um, no, okay, it's no. He's this is my old friend from middle school, still in contact. Always love seeing the smiley face. Greg Walgast, welcome to the show. Finally, you get to do a track by track with us. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Who are you? It is just a matter. Thank you uh, for for having me on here. I, I am stoked to actually get to be on with the the three backed beast in its entirety. Um, I appreciate you guys uh, giving me a chance to talk after uh, you know six years of doing this podcast. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's great to be on. Thanks for uh, thanks for including me. You've always been here in spirit, though, Greg. I mean, your artwork uh, 
has really helped to exemplify what we do here. Um, we're, we're very much music nerds and having like a, uh, 100 sided dice, uh, kind of nails at home. Uh, Steven. And, and the wonderful, the wonderful part about, you know, Greg being a team member, the fourth, the, the fourth chair, if you will. Um, he knows exactly what it's like to do something for free too. He gave us that art for free, just like we do this podcast for free and haven't made any goddamn money off it. So absolutely. It's a, it's a, it's a marriage. And has it actually been six years? God. Uh, just, I feel like it has. I feel like my <laughs> Maybe soul more. just left my body. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 2017, is that when we started this? Likely. And it's going to be funny when Greg says, for free, I, here's my invoice at the very end of all this. <laughs> we'll never yeah, recover was, from this financial I, disaster. I, yeah, I didn't want to just, you know, blindly email this. So I wanted to wait to see you, you know, the whites of your eyes and hand it to you, but, at least digitally. So I've been waiting for years. And by the way, it's collected interest. So here you go. Somewhere I have a contract that says 500 bucks an episode. So... <laughs> If Eric blindly signed oh, yeah. that, oh, yeah. it was like, hey. sounds great. <laughs> uh, when, and that's why Eric to this day has never been officially named a host. He's like, <laughs> that's true. I don't know why you let your that's intern a, sign up to the host. It's only up to the hosts. Lennox is going to have to start pedaling twice as hard. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, Greg, I think this would give a little glimpse of if I never moved away from Arizona, we would still probably be there without our, you know, respective wives and families and just together recording a very similar type podcast. Um, oh yeah. In Arizona. Oh, and making, no doubt about it. making stupid videos. Of course. Yeah, yeah. 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 No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Well, Greg's a real one. We're happy to have you. Um, thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having But Greg, you're bona fides though. I mean, uh, are you, we've had um, another one of Eric's friends back in season one. We had uh, Brian strand, who's a, a really up-and-coming uh, musician. We had him on the Year Zero episode, and he uh, eviscerated it. <laughs> yeah. Four out of ten. Not a fan. Um, so uh, I hope tonight's uh, album doesn't give you that same impression. But uh, are, you're a mus- musician yourself, so I hope that you can bring some more, I don't know, uh, Time changes if because you are a drummer. I, I imagine that's is that the only instrument that you actually play. Yeah, that's so. Musician is probably not the best. Uh, <laughs> the best. Term. I've seen your stuff. I <laughs> know, uh, my friend, you are underselling yourself. This man is a drummer, ladies and gentlemen. This man is a drummer. Thank you. I I appreciate that. Um, but I mean, I'm I'm going to be really excited to talk about uh, one of my favorite drummers. Uh, Mike Borden, uh, huge influence on my plane. So, uh, yeah, this is this is going to be a fun one, and it's it's definitely uh, a highlight in the you know my my drumming influences over the years. So that's yeah. great. And if people fun. wanted to see you drum, Greg, they could do that on YouTube, right? You've got kind of a yes. cool channel there. Yeah, yeah. Well, plug, uh, plug them shits. Yes, <laughs> and I plug- believe. I believe you, uh, and we'll make sure that's in the show notes as well. Uh, but I believe you have covered and videotaped a song off of this very record we're talking about tonight. Is that right? Yes. Yep. I did uh, Midlife Crisis. And, All right. And I do plan on eventually doing uh, probably about half of the songs off of this album because there's just uh, 
there's just a lot of good stuff, a lot of fun to play. Fantastic. Uh, this is that great. T- that, that tells me you'll probably have a higher opinion of it than uh, Brian did of Year Zero then. All right, and, a little um, bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's it. Before we get into the news and the wrecks, because we're going to do those tonight, um, you wanted to be on the... You, you said, like, hey, I'm looking at your list of stuff you're going to talk about. This is the album I want to talk about. So when we get to our history with this record, or Mark, are we going to have that part where we talk about our history with this record? Definitely. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I want to make sure, uh, Greg, that you tell us why, why when we started season three, you're, that like you zeroed in on it from the start. Think about yeah. that for now. So. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Erica was, he gave me the whole list and, you know, there were definitely some, um, it was tough because, you know, there was like Primus and Tool and all that on there. But, you know, in terms of my, uh, influence on my plane, I guess, you know, Faith the More was definitely one that I, I could, uh, I could talk a lot about a bit more so than I know you guys did, uh, Tales from the Punch Bowl. And I, I feel like, uh, Angel Dust was definitely a bigger influence on me than, uh, than Punch Bowl was. So, yeah, yeah. you had to have, uh, two more arms to drum like Herb did during those, yeah. those years. So. But but Herb was great too. He was he was mu- pretty much my first like really big drumming influence though. He was uh, he's quite a quite a beast. That's for sure. Um. So, Stephen, uh, it's it's time to do plugs and uh, and news. So first. Did you hear about this or have you heard about this? What is the action news update for anything that we are uh, have covered or will cover? Yeah. All right. ahead, did, you, did you hear about this? So this one, this one is going to be, uh, did you hear about this, about things we have covered and then some stuff we're kind of covering in the next episode that's tied to this episode. Um, and actually I'll bring this band up again tonight, but they're also going to be brought up in the, uh, we're going to do a Mike Patton episode. I don't care how difficult it is to uh, sit down and record a podcast anymore. We got to do the episode where we talk about the other Mike Patton things and uh, we'll do that. And um, that episode is going to talk about Dillinger escape plan at some point. And the Dillinger escape plan was in the news. A little interesting thing here. Uh, Greg uh, Pukito, Pukito, they're, they're, uh, their third singer, if you count Mike Patton as a singer. Um, he's the one that's on the majority of the records. He's a good guy. They've been broken up for a few years. And uh, that was that. And then uh, Ben Ben Wyman, Ben Weinman, the uh, only founding member, I think, that was left by the time the band got done and their guitar player. And he, he came out of hiding and he said, yeah, that's, that's great that Greg said that. Um, I haven't talked to Greg in years. And, uh, you know... We're not going to reunite anytime soon, but if we do, I'm paraphrasing here. If we do, it probably won't be with Greg. He was kind of a contractor. He's not really an owner of the name. And, uh, you know, I don't know why he's even talking about the Dillinger escape plan. Anyhow, uh, Greg seems to be doing okay with, uh, the Jerry Cantrell and all his solo projects. And, uh, he should just not worry about the Dillinger escape plan anymore. 
it was a very catty, strange thing for this guy that doesn't really interview a lot to come out and uh, come out of hiding and say. And I thought it was very cold that he said Greg was more like a contractor. The guy was like on five of the records. So uh, there you go. A little, little drama for the retired Dillinger Escape Plan band. Meow. Yeah, it does sound like a little cat fight. I know it's nice to that Dillinger Escape Plan is the fulcrum between having both Mike Patton and Trent Reznor. Mm. Uh, you know, there's a little six degrees right there. Less than one. Um, but yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, Dillinger Escape Plan. Um, I feel like I should like them more than I actually should. Um, I think they've got some great records, especially uh, with the way that uh, Greg sings. He definitely sounds very Patton esque. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. The last co- few records, I just am uh, doing laundry, and it's not checking in on me on the background. But I, I maybe that's a band I need to do another run through. I think it's a. Uh... That's more of a you problem than a then one because you're doing laundry. It sure and is. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I like those last few records. I Out of that genre, and I used to listen to that genre a lot more, they're one of the ones that I still listen to quite a bit. I like them. I, I, I like all. I celebrate their entire discography, especially that EP with Patton. Greg, are you a Dillinger Escape Plan fan at all? Uh, really, I've just, I've mostly heard the, you know, the Patton record and uh, a little bit of other stuff. But not enough, not really. Uh, I mean, I know that another amazing drummer um, really, uh, I know he's got a lot of like Apex Twin influence, a lot of kind of like drum and bass stuff that he really tries to incorporate uh, organically in his playing. Um, But I still haven't, haven't really taken the time to listen to enough of their their other discography aside from the, the patent album. I just say that, uh, my two cents on them is that, uh, the early stuff's the patent thing. It's all, that's all really good. But as far as like a band, like having a true, like glow up with a little, like more production budget between then and then going to like miss machine. Um, just, it sounds like a, 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 a new singer and all that, but it sounds like a different band. Um, but some of the skeletons still there. Uh, uh, but I do like that record a lot too. I'd suggest their final album. Um, is that Ironworks? I think it's Ironworks. I don't know. The last one was really good. They're all good. I, I did my best. There's not a lot going on with the bands we've talked about. But an old friend of the show is uh, going on tour. Charlie Klauser is going to go on tour with Till Lindemann from Romstein. Uh, Charlie hey, Klauser. I'm not Charlie Klauser. It's Danny Loner. Danny Loner. <laughs> they may as well be the same person, yeah. though. Einstein. And I think the only reason I really bring it up is because Mark and I both just, just stumbled on the same photo of him on the Internet uh, <laughs> in, in a press release. And it, it's a Till Lindemann promotional f- photo. And it looks like uh, the, the movie, uh, the Zack Snyder film. What was that? No, it looks like a Suicide Squad or something yeah, nonsense no, like that. Even worse. No, what's <laughs> Not the, the movie? James Gunn one, the, the, the other one. Yeah, what's the movie that he made with the... Uh, it had all the girls that were dressed up like uh, cheerleaders. I didn't even see it. Oh, Birds of Prey? No, 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 no. That's Zack Snyder. <laughs> I know right what you're talking the... about, too. It's like... Oh, it, um, it, uh, uh, something punch. Sucker punch. Sucker punch. Sucker. Yeah. Uh, 
No, they, it, it looks terrible. They, they they dress poor Danny Loner up like he's in Sucker Punch. They make him dress like a clown with a, a fluorescent clown. It looks really bad. I know, you know, everybody needs money, but holy crow. Yikes. So, anyways, <laughs> yeah, that's 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 the news we have tonight. Not a, not a well, lot going on. There is something else that I'm surprised Steve uh, didn't omit, but Steve and I uh, just this week received our notifications that uh, the boss is not going to oh. be uh, with us in 2023 in Jeez. San Francisco. Like, oh, hopefully he'll that. still be with us in 2024 yeah, because God. I want to see the man. <laughs> the way you uh, said that was disease. The way you said that almost sounded like you're going to say the boss isn't going to be with us much longer. I was like, holy <laughs> crow. We don't know, Stephen. We don't know. No. Yeah, no, I didn't but bring yeah, that up. I didn't bummer. bring that up because it's so sad. But yes, we got notifications that he's recovering fine, but uh, he doesn't want to half-ass it. So the boss, uh, he proposed mid-tour, he postponed the rest of the tour till next year. But the thing is, it was landing on a special day, Stephen. It was going to be on your birthday. Uh, That would have been an all-timer the last time you potentially are going to see. No, it will be the last time. Let's be honest here. Yeah, well. Uh, No, I'm kidding. Am I going to die? Um, (laughs) No. No, my my wife made a good point, though. Uh, My birthday, I share it with my son. He was born on my birthday. And his parents going to a concert he can't go to on his birthday kind of is shitty. So, uh, all right, there's one silver lining. Uh, silver lining one, right there. One last thing for him to go to therapy about in 15 years. Well, all right. Uh, it is time to plug like a hole. Um, I have been listening to a lot of Faith No More uh, recently and the mountain of Mike Patton material for our subsequent episode. Um, But I'll get to my plugs a little bit later once I think about it a little bit more. Um, Should we start with our guest, Greg? What are you recommending? What are you consuming? What are you plugging? Well, uh, I know you guys have mentioned it on the podcast before, probably many years ago. but. since we literally just finished it, uh, like less than an hour ago, I'm gonna plug Better Call Saul. All right, because it is truly a masterpiece. Um, so I, I had watched all Breaking Bad. Uh, my wife hasn't. She she knows you know enough of the story, but it's a bit too dark and gruesome for her. I get it, but there there's still so much about that show that I knew she would really like. And I had seen like the first four seasons of Better Call Saul. And when they finally got the last ones on Netflix, I figured like, you know, I wanted to start it again. And so I tried convincing my wife to watch it. She gave in and of course fucking loves it. And so both of us just like full on went into it and watched the whole six seasons over the last couple of months. And uh, yeah, it's, it's incredible cinematography the writing the some of the best acting you'll see uh it's just such a great show um so yeah that was uh that was kind of bittersweet to to just finish that now but uh it it's just it's great and uh it's definitely going to be a a rewatch at some point 
I'm, uh, I'm glad to I, I, I'm glad to hear that she was a she enjoyed it, even though she never watched Breaking Bad. Oh yeah, I I can't imagine. I mean, I guess I can I can imagine watching one without the other, but I'd never want to, knowing they both exist. But that's how strong Saul is. Yeah, you can watch it by itself for the most yeah. part. You you definitely can, and it, I mean, there are a few things. It's like now I kind of want to just skim through Breaking Bad and maybe just like you know, kind of show her some of the main plot points a little bit and uh, and kind of explain some of that other stuff that happens, but. Um, but yeah, just overall uh, an incredible show. Um, and um, another good one, um, less known, but you guys have also mentioned uh, The Expanse, which uh, mm. I, I just finished reading the, the last book of that. Mm. Uh, it's nine books and like six seasons of the show. Uh, the books were great. I uh, highly recommend those really, really good sci-fi. Um, I've only seen like four of the six seasons of the show and that was really good too. And it seemed to really follow the, the books pretty closely, but I, I don't know exactly like how that ends and if it ends in the same way as the books do, but both, both are great. Show is great. Uh, it's only on like Amazon prime, which is why I'm, I'm reluctant to, uh, to go for that to try to finish watching it, but um, but still, like I, I can at least recommend that the books are fantastic uh, sci-fi. I'll give you a spoiler that's not really a spoiler. <laughs> um, the book, the show, I do think you should watch it, and Mark will agree with me. And Eric's a coward who never finished the show. I think <laughs> um, I, I petered but, out, but I'll pick it back up. The show ends, uh, what was it, Mark? Like, uh, allegedly, because I never read the books, neither of you, but it, like book six, and there's like three more books left after the show or something mm. like that. Okay. Like, yeah, it, it ends at a point that apparently makes sense. If you were to like, oh, if you're not going to tell the entire story, this is the one spot you can end it, and it's still a complete show. Um, I got you. Which led me, I, I, I've been wanting to read the books, but I'm too busy reading uh uh, 55 years of every X-Men comic ever. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I haven't found time. Mark, did you ever get around to reading the books? No, I didn't. I know my, uh, attention span for books these days, um, is like Eric's attention span for shows. Apparently. Um, I just can't <laughs> quite, <laughs> I can start a book and then not finish it. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I'll take Greg's recommendation because uh, I think that's what gave you the idea, Stephen, to actually uh, take a look um, in a book, but in the moving. You yeah, know, I can't. I can't remember. Picture form. But, uh, everybody that ever has watched that show usually suggests it. It's like a hidden gem. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. Um. Uh. Let's see. Yeah, I mean, uh, music-wise, since well, this is a music-based podcast, I sh- I could probably mention a, uh, a band. Um, there's a Japanese uh, noise punk group called uh, Otaboka Beaver. So noisy and like crazy punk. Uh, my my brother's description of them is uh, unhinged precision because they just sound like they are completely bonkers uh going nuts but when you really listen to them you can tell that they are all actually really really good musicians and um they they've been getting a lot of attention lately because people keep sharing um videos of the drummer 
doing these these blast beats at like 250 BPM that are just insane. And uh, yeah, really good drummer. All all great musicians. They would be an incredible live show. Not not the kind of thing that you can listen to all the time, but a hell of a lot of fun and super noisy and intense. And uh, yeah, definitely a a really kind of surprising cool discovery that I, I made recently that my, my brother got me into. A beaver. Oh, yeah, O T O B O K E, beaver. It's uh, Oda Boca Beaver. So I will the, check that out. I will. Yeah, pretty sure we knew out. that girl in high school, right, Stephen? Uh huh. Um, no, I, I will check that. That's a fitting. That's a good one to bring up, considering next on the uh, Mike Patton episode next time we'll yeah. talk about Melt Banana, who were loud in Japanese. Mm-hmm. Oda, Boca Beaver. I'll check that out. Yeah. When you said blast beats, Stephen already had a half chub. Like Martin, he loves yep. hearing drums that make him want to hit That's the deck. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna bring I'm gonna bring up some blast beats in a second. <laughs> That's what he also said on his wedding night. Oh. Um. Sorry, I'm already revving up, guys. Um, Eric. What do you uh, what do you plug in? Hey, uh, okay, so I'll make this quick. I've talked about this band on the show before. Um, at at best, they are a like really um, uh, enjoyable industrial metal band. At worst, they're just kind of kind of mid, um, but pleasant on the ears. Um, they might scratch some of your your like. Uh, Marilyn Manson itches, I guess, if you, for some of like the louder, catchy industrial metal stuff, um, without the baggage that comes with that, um, talking about three teeth, um, and they have a new album out now. It's called Endex. Um, I always will give their, and it's fresh off the presses. I think came out this, this Friday. So I always will give them a shot. Um, I enjoy their, their general sound and, 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 and aesthetic, but, um, this new album, it, once again, they bring back Sean Beaven to produce, who did some Nine Inch Nails and stuff like that. But also, they added as like an honorary member of the band for this, um, a Mister, uh, what is that, Nick Gordon, who did the who composed the score for some of the newer Doom games. So it just adds like a layer of oh. of kind of cool synthy atmosphere um, to it. So uh, I really like the new album. I think I think it's more engaging actually than their last one. Um, check out the song Slum Planet if you want to hear what I'm talking about. Face the waste of any disgrace. Deformed children made from cold. 
I got. Nice. Excellent. Steven, you got holes that are leaking. How are you going to plug them? Plug them with a few things. Um, <laughs> yeah. Not, nothing that exciting. Steve just um, got a heavy text. <laughs> <laughs> uh, three, three plugs. Three holes, three plugs. Three teeth, three plugs, three holes. Uh, Eric, I will check out that, that by the way. Everything you've shown me by them, I always end up liking. Uh, first plug, uh, went and saw Behemoth this week. They were great, as I expected. And saw them at Ace of Spades in Sacramento, which is a mid-sized venue. And I we did an episode on them before. And yeah, total uh, black into death metal. Plenty of blast beats. And I wanted to plug in particular that they had, a, they had their drummer named Inferno in the back on a really large drum riser. And very often the rest of the band would climb up the drum riser and like play back to back right next to him while he was doing all his blast beats. And I just wanted to say that more bands need to utilize a, a you know, the drum riser in shows, having, having the rest of the band climb the drum riser and interact with the drummer when he's kicking ass drum risers. It's like a stage in a stage. I love, I love some good drum riser action. Uh, so, Greg, you agree with me, right? Sure. Uh, okay. I mean, I wouldn't go so far as the, like, rotating upside-down drums or anything like that, but no. but still, you know. I think when you have a drummer of a higher caliber, you got to put them up there where you can, like, see them. Oh, and sure. Then, and then, you know, the bass player climbs up there in, in kinship, and it's, uh, you know, for the band like Behemoth, which has an air of um, mystical nonsense to them, it was, uh, it was fun. So they they were good live. Um, I recommend seeing them if you ever get a chance. One of the bands that opened up for them was this Twin Temple, and also uh, Imperial Triumphant. Imperial Triumphant dress up. Uh, they wear. I don't think I've ever seen them speak, and they look like statues that have come to life, and they play really precise, uh, jazz death metal. The the vocals, even for me, I can't I can't hang with the vocals, unfortunately. And that's saying something for me. And then uh, but musically, they're awesome. And then Twin Temple is uh, Eric. You've checked them out before. It's kind of like spooky Amy Winehouse, which. After two songs, I am like, I get it. And then, and then I'm like, if you take away the spookiness, I don't think anybody listened to you guys. So uh, the opening acts left something to be desired. But Behemoth was great. I have the recommendations are just I, I discovered a 20 year old album. Thanks to Pitchfork, of all things, uh, this lady named Jillian Welch. And uh, she's got she's got Is a it album. Jillian or a Gillian. Yeah, you know what? I always wonder if it's a hard G or a soft G. I don't Anytime know. Anytime I see it's like Jif and Gif. I've never went. I've never seen Better her. Better get that right, Mark. Better get that right. I've never I've never had anybody talk to me about her. I've only read about her and listened to her. Um album from 2001 called time the revelator and it is amazing i can't believe an album this good's been just sitting there for two decades i never listened to it before um it's i think it's high it sounds like it should be like literally when you listen to it it sounds like it should be it's that it might be yeah it's kind of it's got you know it's americana she's got a great voice that maybe like a a comparison i can make nico case kind of stuff um, sure, but uh, it's really good. Absolutely, I loved it. I couldn't believe I never heard it before. 
And the whole album is really good. I think the her is shorthand because, I mean, her name is the artist. But uh, I, I believe her partner uh, that writes and plays all the music is her, you know, sit in your porch Americana stuff. But who could know if I'm a traitor? Times are But and I, it, it, he, he was watching it, and I, I mentioned to Mark because I know Mark's a fan. Uh, yeah, it was on in the background. I didn't think much of it, and then I realized I was watching it, and so we finished it together. And the last episode has all this David Bowie stuff going on. Um, <laughs> this, this whole like montage with David Bowie music, and I can't remember. I, looking back, I can't remember if it's a cover or if it's the actual song, and they got the rights. Either way, it's great. So that regular show, Mark, you were dead on. It. it what I first thought was going to be some goofball kids show, which is great. You need your goofball kids shows. You need your, you need your gumballs. But uh, it actually ended up having like a lot of heart and uh, was funny enough to where like you know adults could get some jokes out of it too. I enjoyed it. Regular. I don't show. know why I'm taking. A, I don't want to know why I'm taking offense to this. But in our text thread, I hang with the regular show talk <laughs> as much, if not more, than Mark. I fucking finished that show twice two years ago. <laughs> Fucking I don't love know. that show. Yeah. And so, oh, Mark's I'm not fan. sure. I don't know you why. Know, I don't know why that hurts yeah. me so bad. You know that reminds me. That reminds me, Eric. Um, I'm I'm looking I'm looking forward to uh, uh, your full report when you guys go see Peter Gabriel next weekend, which Mark got you into. Oh. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, would, oh. Eric would... is going to uh, <laughs> walk out. <laughs> It's like a, a bad Fox News interview. As long, no, as long as I've known Mark, he's a huge Peter Gabriel fan. I never would have heard of him without Mark. So. There you go. I mean, uh, I don't know what to tell you. So I'm going to do rapid fire uh, plugs. Thank you, Stephen. Good stuff. Good brand um, movie. Is that going to be one of mine? Yeah. Um, all right. Real fast. Uh, I have started um, watching the show Succession. I'm only in season one. I am definitely very impressed. Good stuff. Um, the way the power dynamics play out, uh, very similar to how they play out in Between the Three of Us. Um, I would definitely... <laughs> I mean, Steven's the Roman. You know, he's, he's a loose cannon. Um, but no, uh, good show so far. Uh, Brian Cox is great. Everyone's great. Everyone's, uh, it's, it's essentially uh, a dark version of Arrested Development. Um, second plug, Baroness released a new record called Stone. Uh, oh, this yeah. is the first record of them that they did not uh, name it after a color because they're only doing the primary colors, apparently. Uh, Baroness live in the same uh, environment and uh, cohabitation with Mastodon, so maybe we'll go further into a Baroness talk on that episode. Uh, but yeah, it's good, it's proggy, it's different. Um, uh, I enjoy it. It's not their best, but it's not their worst. It's it's a good one. I think it's the first one really selling. I think it's the first one that the, uh, the new guitar player helped write, and I like her. She yes. During the pandemic, when uh, all those bedroom cover videos were going on, which I love, 
um, Greg loves them. He does them. Uh, when you uh, all those musicians were like, shit, we can't tour, so let's make money and let's uh, cover songs, and I loved it. Everybody was doing it, and uh, she was in a lot of those for that two 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 minutes to late night uh, group. She's good, She's a guitar player. Yeah, I enjoy her quite a bit. Uh, she was on Golden Gray. I just don't know if she did any sort of contributions. Then my last little little bit. Uh, so I showed my kids um, a couple Pixie songs the last couple weeks, and now they are hooked in, mm. folks. Seeing them shake their little butts to "Gouge Away," which is a uh, definitely a family favorite. Um, "Monkey Gone to Heaven," of course, they love that one. And uh, "Where Is My Mind?" You just you can't go wrong with that. Uh, but seeing my kids already at a very uh, young age, uh, listening to the Pixies, I feel like I'm uh, we're on the right track, folks. We're on That's the right good. track. So those are my uh, those are my little plugs and recommendations. So without further ado, uh, it is time for Faith No More talk. Uh, Faith No More, a band that uh, had some ups and downs and uh, changes, um, but I Greg is on a two hour time difference, folks. So we got to get this guy to bed. So we're not really going to go into the Faith No More history, but I would like to know his personal history with Faith No More. So, Greg, when did you first hear of Faith No More? Um, so I know I've I've probably mentioned the couple episodes I was on. Uh, my my brothers were basically my my funnel for like all of the music that I've gotten into. Like they they basically it, it was just you know my earliest memories. I was like five, six years old. And my, my brothers were listening to Metallica and Danzig and all that. And they just passed all that stuff on to me. And so faith, the more was definitely one of those, those big ones that they listened to a lot from like the late eighties. And they, I remember them being like, you know, annoyed by Chuck Mosley at the time, uh, rest in peace. And, um, and, it, and I felt the same way and I, I still like, you know, I never really liked Chuck's style. And so when Mike came along, that was, that was a big deal. And it was like, Oh, there's this new album, the real thing. And it's got, they got a new singer. And, uh, it was, it was quite a difference when that came out. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, we'd see him on MTV all the time. Uh, the Epic video was constantly playing. We saw, we, you know, I, I remember actually watching the, uh, the VMA, uh, videos when they were playing Epic live and, uh, and Mike imitated, imitated the, uh, the flopping fish on the stage. And, uh, we were all hysterical at that. Um, but yeah, it was again, you know, my brother's just like listening to this stuff and me being exposed to it and um, and enjoying the hell out of it. And yeah, I, I 
was definitely uh, a fan of the mu the the music from the early stuff. Um, but once Mike Mike joined the band, that really kind of changed uh, the sound in a in a good way. It felt more like okay, this is this is Faith No More now. This is really like the kind of stuff that I want to listen to, and uh, I've been a big fan ever since. Yes. I mean, uh, I think we're going to have very similar trajectories, but Eric, I feel that sometimes, uh, faith no more or Mike Patton seems hoisted upon you. Uh, now, now prove me wrong that that's not the truth. No. Uh, uh, okay. So, so Greg and your, your brothers, well, specifically Dan has also gotten me into a lot of music. So it's just funny how that works. Cause I didn't have any older brothers. And my parents were listening to whatever the fuck George Harrison or the Grateful Dead were doing in the 80s. So I, you know, I, uh, I it was very nice um, when you passed on something to me. Although, I don't know. I'm trying to remember Eric's how this a big happened. Dark Horse fan. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember if you pushed much Faith No More on me. But I did wind up with Mr. Bungle's self-titled album thanks to you. Like, I think maybe we were going through like a Columbia list and you were like, Oh yeah, you got to get that. And I'm just so, I'm so baffled, baffled. <laughs> I really why I hope that you listen to that with your mom. Oh, I, I, I <laughs> Give know it for, to some French I, bread. I, I squeeze fucking, me macaroni comes on. I this put, one sounds like I, a fun one. I put squeeze me macaroni on a road trip tape that I played for my parents. And they're like, they're not going to, li- they're not going to hear what he's saying. <laughs> And my dad was like, what's that baseline? Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> he was also getting ideas for later. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. give, a, give a dog a bone, baby. Oh! Make so, patty whack. I listened to that weird self-titled Mr. Bungle a lot, and we'll find out in the next episode how that aged for me. But I did listen to it a lot back then, and I don't know how did you not did you try with Faith No More with me, or were you like you're a lost cause, Eric? You don't really like to rock. I'm sorry, you don't you don't get Faith No More. Well, how did that how did that happen? The that's it's funny because like we we were so like tunnel vision nine inch nails at that time. I mean, of course, you know it was like that's nine inch true. nails. Yeah, like Tool and Primus as yep. well, but mostly Nine Inch Nails. And it's funny, like thinking back on on that, I don't, I don't remember really like playing or listening to Faith No More with you at that time. And I, but I do remember <laughs> more recently, at least the last time, like I was out visiting, and we went to Amoeba Records, and I think they were playing a song from King for a Day. And I was like, hell yeah, it's Faith No More. And you're like, meh, I've always thought they were kind of typical. Ah. And, <laughs> and he, he probably <laughs> said basic, Greg. He, and he probably said they basic. Something along those lines. And, uh, and you, I remember you saying like, oh, you know, maybe album of, the year, album of the Year is good. And that always just kind of stuck with me. And so, I mean, that's, that's also why I've been really curious that's- to hear you Funny, think I don't about I don't remember this. that. I don't remember that okay. but that exchange holds up very well as we'll find out next episode. But I okay. do not I do not think yeah. they're basic. I'll just spoil that right now. I don't think Faith No More is basic in any way. I don't. I don't. Um but we will yeah. Okay, okay, interesting. So we we just that just wasn't part of our friendship back then. Uh, somehow though you're like slap on that Mr. Bungle though. That's it's going to change your life. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Yes, I do remember Mr. Bungle quite a bit but for some reason faith the more was just like 
they had this weird, I don't know, it was like they didn't exist for a little while. <laughs> Greg noticed that uh, Eric is definitely a Pee Wee Herman type character, and he was like, he needs some carnival type music <laughs> that will keep him entertained. And it worked. It That's worked. great. Steven, personal history. Uh, yeah. I mean, I feel that uh, it is a immovable object meeting an unstoppable force when you met Faith No More. Yeah, no, they're definitely a foundational band for me in a few fronts. Um, and one thing I want to, I gotta add, well, so we're going to talk about the history of the band in the next episode. Um, but Greg brought up Chuck Mosley real quick. And Mark, this has been bugging me. I can't wait till the next episode. Anecdotally, did like you, did somebody you know used to know Chuck Mosley? Is that the most? No, random? it wasn't Chuck. It, it wasn't Chuck Mosley. It was actually my sister babysat Mike Borden's sister's kids. Um, okay. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. And she was uh, even uh, when Mike Borden actually was drumming for Ozzy on the No More uh, Tears tour. Um, she actually at that time, because uh, this is how young we were. Uh, she offered uh, my sister to actually be able to go back and meet Ozzy Osbourne, but my sister did not uh, take advantage of that because she's Ooh. just not into that stuff. What exactly. Yeah. All right. That that's but story. not Chuck Mosley. So yeah, no. Mark and I have been friends since we all know this since we were teenagers, and one of our friendships were based upon. Oh, you like Fade to More? So do I. And I I always remembered that there was some kind of anecdote about somebody babysitting. And after all these years, somehow that anecdote was Mark knew somebody that babysat Chuck Mosley or something. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Chuck Mosley would have been like, who would have Mark known that would have babysat Chuck Mosley? They would have been babysitting them in 1968. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, as far as my history with Faith No More, it's uh, a lot of it's MTV. It was definitely because of their rise to popularity on uh, from uh, the real thing. Uh, I watched a lot of MTV at my grandparents' houses in the late 80s, and that video blew my mind, as it did many other people's minds. And uh, and also, my dad, my dad was a rocker. My dad got me into, like I've said in the show before, a lot of the stuff I like, typically more classical rock. My dad got me into Pink Floyd. At the time, he's what got me into Guns N' Roses, ACDC. But uh, he, he expressed a big interest in uh, Faith the More Surreal thing. And uh, yeah, so I bought him a copy of The Real Thing for Father's Day on CD, I think. And then I, uh, gosh, I must have been 10 years old. And uh, I ended up uh, pilfering it from him uh, years later. I think I just took it from him. Um, but yeah, that's uh, the... The 1989 uh, version of Fate the More is what got their hooks into me because of MTV. Uh, Mike Patton, at, at that point, I was very amused by his antics. Um, even at that young age, I felt like he, I could tell he was on to like, you know, the next level of some sort. Um, and yeah, I just right place, right time for a young kid to, to see that song. That was a crossover hit epic. A lot of people love Epic. A lot of people that don't know Faith No More love that song. It's a, it's a, it's a, it was on a million, it was on a, you know, that, that album was a few times platinum. Everybody knows Epic. And, uh, definitely as a young man, 
it was probably one of the first times I felt like even though even though they were on MTV, I felt like their weirdness really spoke to me. And I felt like it was just a band that like even at 10 or 11 years old, it was something different. And even though that album sold a lot, I felt like they were something special that like I, I was totally in tune with. And as they put out more records throughout the 90s, uh, that just became more and more uh, in sync. And yeah, uh, let's say MTV and my dad. That's, that, that combo led to a lifelong love of all things related to Faith No More. You know, that's always great. Um, you know, one thing about Stephen's dad with his, uh, Stephen's relationship with his dad, rather, it always seems that even though with the ups and downs, he always introduced him to just really cutting edge music. Um, it was something that was not necessarily happening in my household. So I think my music development was a little more stunted than Steven's. So I didn't come into Faith No More a little bit later. It was probably my freshman year um, is when I really got a really good education from one of my sister's ex-boyfriends. Um, he was the one that really kind of introduced me to a wide variety of music. Um, and we spent a lot of time just hanging out at record stores and uh, stealing from record stores and just <laughs> checking out a, a lot of different things. That's how I also got into Primus. But uh, he was the one that introduced me to Faith No More. It was um, uh, more so on the patent side. He had a very negative impression of Chuck Mosley. Chuck Mosley definitely has a I would rather be anywhere else um, than be right here singing uh, kind of style. And uh, some people might like that. But apparently the band uh, got really tired of that sort of uh, uh person so they kicked him out and that's when mike Patton joined the band and so all of the mike Patton work from real thing up until they broke up after album of the year and then re uh united later in the 2000s but i will say um you know my first impression of faith no more was probably the song epic um on a podcast that we all celebrate uh 60 songs that explain the 90s um, in one episode, he actually uh, mentioned the song Epic. If a radio station does not play the entire uh, piano outro, they should have their FCC license uh, taken away. I think that's yeah. the the yep. perfect. I mean, it is fantastic. In high school, I even used the song "Epic" as a musical explanation to describe the truth, uh, because you know Mike Patton kept saying, "What is it?" Um, and uh, I mean, I was fully radicalized when I then started at the record store. Another coworker of mine who was 
his his guy, his number one guy was Mike Patton. Um, and he basically mainlined a whole bunch of Mike Patton material into my veins. And uh, he became also one of my guys. Uh, so I, uh, I, I have to say that anyone that cuts Epic short before the piano intro is done is a psychopath. I don't know what kind of person would do that. That's just it's Jesus. beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's a great song. And I'm sure we'll talk more a little in depth on the real thing uh, when we talk about the discography and Mike Patton's solo work on our next episode. Tune in for that. Um, so I will say Angel Dust has always been a special record for me. Um, it is where Mike Patton really starts to um, be the captain of the ship. And um, it really changes the, his career trajectory, if you ask me. And this is the one that uh, started it all. Um, that's just, I have a special connection with Angel Dust because you could really see um, some of the things that were incorporated from his more experimental band, Mr. Bungle, where he was discovered and brought into Faith No More by Jim Martin, who later developed a horrible relationship with Mike Patton. Uh, but that's for another time. Uh, so with that, I think it is time we at least discuss a little bit of the background of Faith No More, uh, 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 Angel Dust, rather, and then we'll go into the track by track. So uh, Angel Dust was released in June 1992. This is where Mike Patton actually had a little bit more songwriting um, uh, contributions in here. The previous record, uh, he was more of a fill-in with the real thing. They fired Chuck Mosley. They brought him in, but uh, he didn't really contribute to much of the ideas um, and the musical direction of that. You can certainly tell there was a big jump. This was a major label, I mean, that signed him. I mean, he they were on Warner Brothers, I believe, and uh, which also helped to get Mr. Bungle on a major label, which in this day and age just wouldn't happen. Um, but Angel Dust, uh, uh, you know, it uh, had some Eric's experimental. It never, it didn't really sell well, if you all think about it. I mean, it, it, it certainly did better uh, overseas than here in the U.S., um, but, uh, it, <laughs> it was a record that, uh, made Jim Martin, the longtime guitar player, uh, leave the band. He called the album gay disco. Um, and, uh, he was eventually let go, uh, before they started their next record. Um, they even asked Justin Broderick from Godflesh and, uh, Jordy Walker from, uh, Killing Joke to replace him. Jim Martin only has like two songs on this record, um, and we'll talk about those when we get to them. But that's really the background. It was produced by a gentleman by the name of Matt Wallace, who really did help to um, shape the sound of uh, Faith No More, and in certain terms might have also been one of the major contributing factors to Jim Martin actually leaving uh, do you guys have anything else that uh, you found um, around was, the background uh, of Angel Dust? I know there's a four-hour documentary. I was just going to ask if there were. If, did Matt Wallace produce the the one before this, the album before this, or is that a different guy? I think so. Okay. There's just such yeah, a, I do believe so. There's such a big improvement in production, like like even though the bass is a huge factor of Faith No More, uh, there's much more low end on this particular album. 
I don't know. The mixing, the mixing is 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 uh, a big improvement. Uh, yeah. So yeah, Stephen, um, I, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but who are the players in Faith No More? Uh, before, um, do you have any other uh, uh, trivia around the background of Angel Dust? Because I believe that you skimmed around that <laughs> making of. But who, tell me about who the who the players are in Faith No More. Yeah, we'll do both those things. I got some things to say about the making of it. Um, and that was very insensitive of Jim, considering that uh, their longtime keyboard player uh, was gay, is gay. Well, a very well-known gay man. And uh, that comment was uncalled for. And that keyboard player is Roddy Bottom. He plays the keys. He's one of the founding members. And uh, he composes a lot of the music. His keyboard playing sometimes is classical, and other times it's atmospheric. And I think he's great at what he does. You've also got in this record Jim Martin. Jim Martin plays the guitar. Jim Martin uh, was the guy that had the Sally Jesse Raphael uh, glasses and used to wear uh, jean cutoff shorts over pants. Um, he's the one in the epic video wearing a Cliff Burton shirt. Jim Martin was a cool guitar player. I like Jim Martin. And uh, even on the earlier records that aren't, they have got some good songs. The early records have some good songs. Even when some of the songs are unpolished, Jim Martin's guitar playing always shines through. Jim Martin on guitar. You've got Billy Gold, great bass player, one of the founding members of the band as well. Um, I kind of view Billy, Billy Gold as the through line of the band. I think he's the heart of the band. I think actually if someone were to say, whose band is Faith the More? Billy Gold would be the one I'd say. I think it's Billy's more than anybody else's. Billy Gold on the bass. Got Mike Borden, Mike Puffy Borden, nicknamed Puffy, on the drums. Uh, Mike Borden's always looked the same for the entirety of this band. He's the guy back there playing drums, usually without a shirt on. He's got dreadlocks pulled into like a, a ponytail. If he can do that with dreadlocks, he also drummed for uh, Ozzy Osbourne and uh, for a minute, Corn. Mike Borden on the drums, and then you got Mike Patton, uh, front man extraordinaire. Doing the vocals in this one, he joined the band, uh, the record before when he was 19 or 20 years old, I believe, based off his performance with Mr. Bungle. Like Mark said, Jim Martin kind of suggested him. And uh, on the album before this, he kind of has like a, uh, he's a, he's a good vocalist, but he's, he's a little bit more nasally. He definitely starts to have like the five voices of Mike Patton uh, start to happen on this record. The guy can do a lot with his vocals. And uh, he has many projects that he does a lot of things with his vocals. Mike Patton on vocals. I believe that's the entirety of the band, right, Mark? Uh, for this particular incarnation, uh, yes. it, you know, Faith No yes. More um, certainly has had a uh, two nucleus situation. I think it was Roddy Bottom and uh, Billy Gould that really started the nexus and everything spiraled from there. They had, oh, balloons. Look at that. Um <laughs> Sorry, my computer was updated and it gave me some reactions here. I will say that uh, Courtney Love was an actual previous uh, vocalist to Faith No Man, their original band name. Uh, but we'll get into more of the history later. Yeah, that's uh, that, I was just talking about the, hist uh, the members on this record. Yep. So tell me a little bit more about the background, though. About, yeah, well, uh, this one, this one was recorded after the real thing. The real thing sold like seven times platinum or some nonsense. Like the real thing was a huge hit. Um, and the record label is like, let's give you a bunch of money to make another record. It's you've got it's, it was the early nineties, um, and you could get paid to make records. And uh, 
I mean, they were, <laughs> it was, it was bonkers. They gave them money to make angel dust. And they also let Mike sign my Mr. Bungle to Warner brothers, which that's insane. That based off the popularity of the real thing that they ended up making this album, which is like a alternative metal masterpiece, which is not commercial at all. And also it got Mr. Bungle signed to a major label. It's Mike Patton pulled a hat trick off there, man. That's crazy that they were able to do that. Um, uh, yeah, in general, like the record executives, when they came in and heard uh, the early copies of this this album, they kind of looked at each other and they're like, "This uh, one guy specifically said, I hope nobody bought a house because they could just tell this was not radio friendly. They were not hearing a single true commercial suicide. This album, they Fate No More did not give a fuck. Uh, I find it amazing that they made this record knowing how many people were going to be hoping for the real thing part two. It's uh it's awesome. It was recorded in San Francisco. It was actually recorded at a, uh, at a, uh, a studio on Shotwell street somewhere in San Francisco. I used to live in Shotwell street. That's cracks me up. A rough part of town, um, closer down by Hunter's point. And, uh, you know, the band are all, most of them I think are, are, either born and raised or were residents of San Francisco. Um, and uh, yeah, they, they got MTV or the record label recorded about four hours worth of raw footage of them making this album. And it was kind of going to be like, Hey, Faith No More is making the follow-up to the real thing. Let's check in with Faith No More. And the band, in addition to making a record, which was challenging, they also, during these, uh, if you watch any of that footage, a lot of times, like, Mike Patton's eating a sandwich and can't be bothered, and he's cracking jokes. Or, uh, you know, they're trying to ask uh, Mike Borden, like, a serious question. He's like, well, he's, like, looking at the ceiling, trying to, like, to figure out what the hell to say. You could tell these guys were not your normal rock band. And a making of, they, they were taking advantage of uh, this making of documentary crew being there to kind of, you know, fuck around and give them a hard time similar to the same kind of shenanigans they did when they opened up for guns and roses around this time. Uh, they like to take normal expectations of a rock band and turn it on its head and kind of be Weisenheimers about it. So that was the, the atmosphere this record was made, uh, under. And, uh, yeah, then when it came out, a lot of people that were expecting Epic part two did not get it. Well, Mark's cracking up over there. We got we got weasel. We got we a weasel situation happening over there. <laughs> Something hit a nerve. <laughs> Did he find another yeah. uh, balloon button? Uh, Mark, you're you're muted. You're muted, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just the sheer fact that you use the term Weisenheimers like was <laughs> it was like the Manchurian Candidate. Like it it, it activated something inside of me. Well, they were um, they, they were they were jokesters uh, and Weisenheimers. They liked to. They were not a. Uh, they were not taking being rock stars seriously, and I love them. For I it. mean, I, I, we got to get a move on here, but I will say that uh, I mean, Mike Patton, definitely a prankster, definitely a, a hooligan when it came to backstage antics, and sometimes even on stage antics. Um. So yeah, we'll get into that, but that that's fantastic. I need to actually. Uh, take a look at watching a few clips from that documentary because that sounds uh, pretty amazing. Like, specifically, <laughs> one last thing: when they were when they were touring with Guns N' Roses and Metallica, uh, which is a dream ticket to me. Uh, but they, they they were in between the real thing and making this record. 
and they were playing some songs from this record. And they were just letting Guns N' Roses know they, they did not want to be there. They were being assholes about it to the point where uh, like Axel and Slash like confronted them. And they're like, why are you guys such assholes? We gave you this big opportunity. And Billy Gold just said, like, you know, his response was, we just try to stir up as much shit as we can. We feel like that's our, <laughs> he said, we feel like that's our job. And uh, like <laughs> Axel and Slash looked at each other and just started laughing and walked off. Like They're like, all right, this is what we're dealing with here. So, yeah. <laughs> Maniacs. Yeah. Uh, and I, I love that about them. All right. Well, let's get into it. Let's uh, let's get into the track listing, uh, starting with track one, Land of Sunshine. You have a really way to keep it if you die, if you Sunshine. It uh, was, you know, written at a very experimental time that uh, Mike Patton was doing an experiment uh, where it he wanted to stay up late at night watching um, these self-help infomercials. Uh, I remember seeing a lot of those back in the day. Caffeine was written also at the same time. Uh, we get a personality uh, test question here, but Greg, since you are the guest, tell me, are you living in that land of sunshine? Um, I mean, I'm 43 at this point, so I'm not quite there yet, but I'm, I'm definitely, uh, definitely feeling it. But, um, yeah, I mean that, uh, that song first hearing it to me, you know, I was 11 or 12 at the time. And, um, I mean, now I know of course that like my, a lot of Mike's lyrics on there were just taken from uh, fortune cookies and it makes sense. And, um, you know, we, my brothers and I had just listened to gotten really into Mr. Bungle and like seen, seeing that sense of humor start to like come over into faith no more too was like, okay, this is, this is great. This is more of like Mike's personality actually like coming into faith no more a bit more. And, uh, and even some of the sound of it, the, the a bit darker sound that the, the keyboard, um, sounds that, that Roddy was going for were, were a bit more like Mr. Bungle. Um, so yeah, yeah, this is a, a really a really kick-ass start um, to an album. And I, I know there there was a, a review that I read once 
um, for a later album that actually pointed out something about Faith No More that I, I hadn't even really thought about. It was that pretty much every single Faith No More album starts off with a bang. It just, like, starts immediately. It's just loud right from the get-go. And this like is... Like, from out of nowhere, this, right? It gives you that same vibe. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This song, um, the album... Uh, yeah, the next two albums after this, it's the same thing. It's always just bam, and you're right into into the song and this is definitely definitely follows that they they, they really had a, a good theme going with that Shit, yeah, you're this, right this, i mean uh great. is that same with does uh, album of the year start with collision mm-hmm. yep god damn you're right yeah. it always yeah. sounds like you're being assaulted right from the get-go yeah right it wasn't until somebody pointed that out in a review that i was like holy shit that's true and and soul invictus is the first one that doesn't do that. So anyway, that's getting ahead of it. But yeah, it's uh Soul Invictus doesn't do a lot of things, Greg. Well <laughs> but yeah, this is this is a great opener. It it has a lot of the elements that you're gonna hear in the album. Uh I love it. It's still it's a great one. Definitely one of the ones I want to cover. You know, I'm not gonna mention every single every single song as we go through it, but Again, I, I plan on doing about half the songs off this album. This would definitely be a a real fun one to play. It's a it's a you know classic without being a single uh, Faith No More. Let's get uh, Steven's take on this. I know Eric's going to have some hot takes, so Eric, you're just going to take the uh, the third hole today. Can't be much hotter than Mark's take on Soul Invictus. I see we have crossfire in our midst in the next episode. <laughs> um, yeah, no, Land of Sunshine's great. And uh, we didn't talk much about um, like our history with this record in particular compared to our history of Faith No More. But um, when I first got this album, I heard it. I heard it somewhere. I, I don't know. And then I had it on CD at some point. And then due to a <laughs> an incident when I was a teenager all my CDs disappeared and um, uh, I later got a copy of this album on used cassette from Dimple Records when I worked there and uh, I gotta tell you this album on cassette just works and I remember after it had been a few years since I listened to this album getting that cassette and getting to my Toyota Corolla at the time popping it in and when this song came on it was just like i can't i was like oh my god i haven't heard this goddamn song in years it was before you get mp3s and all your music was on your computer like i was just like it was it all came flooding back to me the power of this this song this ridiculous song that opens up this record and uh, like you guys said it, it hits you it hits you with like a force but still it's got some of that goofy not even goofiness no weirdness strangeness that this band really started to lean into. That's always been there. I mean, on the record before it, you've got songs like Edge of the World and uh, Underwater Love, which are kind of, you know, they got, they got their own brand of oddness to them. But this is just a whole new level. And um, yeah, I mean, some of the stuff that, that just automatically jumps out to you, like Eric said, the bass tone on this record is great. Billy Gold, I think, like, he holds this band together like nobody's business. And the bass line in this track is amazing. Um, Billy Gold's never too showy. He's a great bass player. He's a really, really good bass player, but he always is in service of the song. And you see that from the start on this, this song, 
Um, the keyboards on this track are amazing. Uh, they got that. It's kind of it goes in between like a church organ and a like a carnival sound, uh, like a nightmarish falling down a hole kind of carnival sound. Um, Mike Patton laughs like the, the this record has the many voices of Mike Patton. And on this track alone, I think they're all on there. And one of them is like all that laughing he does, all the maniacal laughing he does in between the choruses and the verse. Uh, when you watch them live play the song, he does it live perfectly. It's, a, it's amazing. Um, the the guitar solo on this track, it's uh, one of many good guitar solos in this record. And Jim Martin's guitar solos on this record in particular, they're typical guitar solos for the most part, but they're usually not placed in songs where you expect a guitar solo to sit. And I, I like that. Uh, the, the, the yes. Mm-hmm. Please tell me, do you often sing or whistle just for fun? Uh, all those quotes that Mike Patton took from various uh, like pamphlets and Scientology commercials. You put all this shit together, it shouldn't work. This song has so many weird things going on. You've got the madcap laughs. You've got the the quotes in the middle that are spoken like a, a TV show televangelist. Uh, you've got the nightmare keyboards, but they fit it all together and they make it work for a great opening track. And that's kind of the magic of this band. You take a bunch of stuff together. You think if you were like looking at it on paper, it would taste terrible. But then you smash it together in the right way and it sounds perfect. And uh, this is how this album starts with a perfect, weird song. I'm a big fan of it. All right. I'll follow that up. Um, and I don't, uh, I actually agree. And, um, uh, and as far as like your point about, you know, jamming a lot of different things in there, um, that happens in a lot of Mike Patton projects, but I think it's almost with the one or two exceptions, almost always done right in faith. No more. Um, and as we, in the next episode, I will mention it a few times. I don't think that approach is working, but it is working in this. Um, of course I, you know, I, I love the lyrics, uh, in this particular song. It is, you know, uh, like it, it is, could be a, a midnight, uh, televangelist on cable access could be fortune cookies, could be questions. Somebody's asking you if you're getting your thetas measured at a Scientology booth. Um, uh, could be all that stuff I, which, you know, I love and, um, and, and Mike Patton's delivery is great. And also, as I'll mention in the next episode, obviously Mike Patton is a schizophrenic singer and he bounces between personas and deliveries in one song. Um, and I would say this particular song takes me up to the threshold of my patience, but I'm enjoying it on this song. He does not cross that line with me on this song. I, I, I love what he's doing. It's a, it's a work of art. Um, uh, and I, and I, and I think he pulls it off. Um, and I would say sound wise, I mean, what's, what stands out to me, the awesome drum fills. I have the same notes about, uh, Jim Martin's guitar, the placement of his guitar solos across this album, uh, unexpected and better for that. Um, and the uh, the slap bass and and pairing with the synth, just playing together, dancing together, it's great. Um, Ruddy is a is a is a hero of mine on on these a lot of the Faith No More tracks. Um, he loves 
the synth strings. It might be the same patch that like New Order uses. And he loves them and he doesn't vary too much. He does a little organ here. He does a little piano here. But uh, he loves those synth strings and it goes with like Mike Patton's operatic of delivery perfectly. So yeah, this song is a barrage. This song, um, you know, uh, makes you maybe want to take a a shower afterwards, but it is, uh, you've been violated, but it is, uh, it's solid opener. It does a trick. A couple, a couple things for you jump in, Mark. I want to comment on Eric's comment there. Uh, Mike Patton's schizophrenia, which he definitely is schizophrenic. Now I am a Patton fanboy, but I've never, ever, ever thought, Oh God, would he just stick with one tone? Like usually I think he modulates it well when he chooses to uh, attack songs with different vocal stylings in the same song. Um, but I could see as someone that's not. And uh, to the Scientology thing, that's funny. This and another track that's coming up, I think they were light years ahead of uh, kind of where public perception was of some uh, strange or less than desirable folks are out there. And in regards to this, yeah, definitely Scientology pamphlets. And then let's not forget that on Mr. Bungle's debut album, the first track is called quote unquote, but it's really called Travolta. (laughs) So uh, it's uh, pretty amusing. And to your comment about the keyboards. Yes. Mm hmm. Correct. Uh, Roddy's keyboards, while this band is often lumped in with rock bands or alternative metal. He reminds me of a new wave player that decided to join a metal band. I think very often there's a lot of new wave going on with him. And it's, it's, it always is awesome. It always fits. Yeah, it makes it soaring. It just adds that little extra mm-hmm. bit. Not that it couldn't soar on its own, but it just makes it soar that much more. It's great. Well, I mean, this band is certainly uh, have their roots in having the influence of uh, Public Image Limited, which certainly tries to marry the new wave to the punk. And th- uh, I mean, certainly on their early records, you can hear that uh, with Mike Patton coming in. Uh, it certainly changes up the recipe in the stew um, with Mike Patton's vocal prowess. It really starts to shine heavily where he's able to uh, go into certain characters. David, uh, David Lynch is one of his inspirations and we'll hear a little bit like more of that influence a little bit later on the record, but land of sunshine with Mike Patton probably doing a clockwork orange in front of a television for probably 72 hours and just being jacked on caffeine. Um, he came to this realization that anytime that someone's trying to sell you self-improvement, uh, it's always meant for making money. Um, and the whole thing around Scientology being listed here, uh, implicitly referenced with the, does emotional music have quite an effect on you? Do you feel sometimes ages against you? These are things that are directly asked to some assessments inside of the church of Scientology. So Mike Patton, even though that he's not necessarily overtly political, um, or in the sense of being an anarchist, uh, he, he's just giving the audience a little something different than what was, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't say that, uh, the real thing has one foot in like the ugly kid Joe, uh, of that era, 
but I will say that Red Hot Chili Peppers were coming up with Mother's Milk around that time, and it just seemed to be like a Northern California versus Southern California feel to it. So I don't know. Land of Sunshine, this is an opening salvo that Faith No More are here to offer something very different, and I love this song. I love this song. To your point about the real thing sounding so different, I, I didn't, this is true, and we probably discussed this before, and I can't remember where I read it. I read a lot of shit about uh, Faith No More in preparation for this uh, album discussion, because I usually am doing that anyways, actually. But also, there's a lot out there. I don't know why it is, but Faith No More is a huge presence on the internet. They got a lot of, it's a cult band. Like the, the fans that are fans are hardcore fans. And somebody mentioned that like the like the the gap in between like 89 and 92 when this came out, uh, 89, you had, yes, that old version of Faith No More. You had like Nelson and Warrant on MTV. By the time this comes out, you've got uh, Nirvana's breaking Pearl Jam. Um, uh, the, I, don't, I don't know, the Pixies, uh, Jesus Lizard, a whole bunch of other like it's a whole other world just a few years later. It's it's pretty crazy. And I, I feel that, yeah, the jump from that last record to opening up with this song can't like, you know, it spells it out how much things have changed in just a few years with the music back then. Yes. So it is time to go to the next track, which was also written on a caffeine bender. And that is titled Caffeine. an ode to the thing that all three of you nine to fivers are going to have to deal with uh, tomorrow morning when you have to go to work as I get to sleep in uh, just a, just a little bit. Um, so this was written by Mike Patton during a sleep deprivation exercise watching late night television. Um, and apparently uh, Roddy, uh, was certainly saying that Mike Patton was not into the drugs. He was more addicted to coffee and caffeine. Greg, you're on the hot seat. You're going to need some caffeine in the morning. <laughs> uh, definitely. Given this, uh, given this time zone, time zone difference, I, I definitely will need a bit of a boost, but um, this, uh, yeah, this is another, another great one that, it continues the the heavier sound that we're getting from this album. Kind of wasn't heavy, but you know you can tell that things are definitely going a bit different. This album and um, 
and this song definitely gets into a, a bit of a, I don't know. I guess it's a bit of a darker sound. I mean, especially once it, you know, there's a, a kind of a more hardcore, fast uh, breakdown part in the middle that gets about as heavy as Faith No More gets. Um, but uh, yeah, that, I've always loved this one. This is this is a song that um, my my band I had with my brother, my friend Chad, uh, we we covered this all the time. It's a great one to play. It's uh, it's interesting for from a musical perspective. It's interesting for a heavy song to have this kind of a feel because it's almost like a a waltz. Um. I mean, a, a waltz is 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 that kind of do 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 do, and this is almost reversed. Um, you know, it's like two kick drums and a snare, and yeah, it, it just gets that that weird kind of sludgy feel um, that keeps it really heavy. I, I don't know. I, I mean, it just has that that kind of a a grind that really goes along with the it, what what Mike is singing about and uh, a lot of the you know kind of caffeine fueled grind of of life you know that we're all kind of feeling stuck in at times um but yeah it's musically it's it's a uh, it's not it's one that I I really enjoy I I always love it it's still not like necessarily one of my favorites on the album but uh you know it was it was always a lot of fun to play it and um uh, yeah yeah no this song is quite something um eric does the grindiness of caffeine are you in the coffee grinder on this one or are you thinking i'll take a decaf thank you <laughs> uh you know, I'll uh, I'll take the the grounds of the compost uh, on this particular track. Um, that's a little harsher than it sounds. Uh, this this song is this song is enjoyable. Um, uh, you know, lyrics uh, pour shame all over us, hardened to a crust, cement. Uh, when he says, "Hide your face in the curtains," I mean, you got that kind of life um, uh, catching up to you once you've had too much caffeine essentially and you're up all night and your paranoia is getting the best of you stream of consciousness watching tv but um i think it's it's a it's, it's pleasant to the ears because it's big and groovy i don't i there's not a melody i'm hooking on to in this um but uh after some spoken word whispers at about the three minute mark like greg mentioned it lets loose it becomes kind of a shredder with some really cool organ work um, so I, I think it's pleasant. It's not, uh, knocking my socks off. Um, but absolutely fine. Track two, track twos aren't necessarily supposed to knock your socks off. So that's my two cents. Outrageous. So, uh, Eric watered down his coffee with a little bit of milk on that one. Steven, are you taking it straight? Put yourself not on mute though. Hold on. You're still on mute, buddy. <laughs> too many goddamn monitors. Uh, this is my workstation. So I've got... It's just stupid. He had to get through that so, cutscene on yeah, Pikmin. Actually, I was getting more caffeine, actually. And, um, yeah, no, this this track, I mean, that does knock my socks off. And this album, this album I'm going to say this a few times tonight. This is a very, this record, 
for a mainstream album, it is very their their songs are really hard. Like there were not a lot of bands playing songs that were this like hard. Like this song's like a sledgehammer sledgehammer super hard track. Um nineteen ninety two, a song like this on the a major label. I mean, this song is about as hard as and I lack of any better term right now. But I mean, this isn't like thrash metal. This is like hard shit. This is something that's going to influence like, a lot of hardcore and, 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 and more denser metal bands years to come. And that's why a lot of those bands do say T- Fate the More is a touchstone for them. Uh, not just the new metal bands like, uh, you know, your your new Jer- Jersey hardcore bands and your and uh, your super technical uh, Japanese bands that uh, uh, Greg's mentioning. They're all Fate No More France. And the fact that this song is the second track on this album, just this is where the commercial suicide happens. They might get through the first song and not kill their careers. But this song, you're like, oh, wait, hold on. This is if it's really 1992 and you're somebody that your history of this band is the, the previous record. Then you hear this track. It's a, it's a crazy. Um, it's hard as hell, but it's not so hard that it's unlistenable. It's still very listenable. I think it still has uh, some groove to it. Um, it's got those really great parts where there's like that ascending, descending guitar scale that Jim Martin's doing. And uh, Mike Patton's vocals are kind of getting uh, very operatic with it. Um, the, uh, the, the, I mean, the vocal styles, again, there's going to be, you're getting a lot of the different Mike Pattons here. And I think he's kind of cutting loose because he, he realizes he can do it. Um, I believe he's self-taught. I don't think he has any classical training until later. Like when the guy starts singing in like Italian and Spanish and shit, he had to be taking some vocal coaching somewhere. Um, but the, the vocal styles in this one kind of run the gamut and you've got those very cavernous operatic parts. Then you've got those screams Then you've got the thing you hate the most section. All of it's great. Um, that, that part where uh, Billy, kind of the baseline kind of drops into like a sped up bit during the I'm warning you I'm fucking you section that's just masterful I I think this song it's a cousin to another song in this album it there's another song in this record that's just about as hard as this one Jim Martin reminds you that he used to be in a thrash metal band even though this is more of like a, a new style of metal to me uh, for the time it's a uh, denser and chunkier and um it's hard but it's still listenable that's a beautiful blend and they hit it a lot of times in this record i'm a big fan and mark was there a rumor going around when we were teenagers and mark's one of the reasons that uh you know i I feel like faith the more is one of those bands where if you're a fan you're a fan but then if you meet a friend who's a fan too you become a bigger fan of faith the more because you found a friend that likes them as well and then it also makes you like that friend more. It's a, it's a whole perpetuating machine. Mark and I were definitely two peas in a pod with the faith and the more love. And at that time, Mark didn't like, you know, your buddy tell us that every song's about drugs, man, in some weird way. Cause I don't, th- I don't think that's true by the way, but I felt like we were 100%. I, I feel like that conversation might be a little bit more apt for a small victory on this record. Um, but, uh, I will say caffeine, um, 
I mean, everything that Steve said, I agree with. This song assaults you. At first, when I heard this song, I was not necessarily a big fan because I wasn't, as Marty McFly would say, I wasn't quite ready for it. And once I got ready for it, this song is an absolute just banger. Um, the fact that they were able to turn this trick on a major label debut. I, I mean, I know that like Nirvana helped the Melvins get on a major label with Atlantic, but this is all homegrown. This was kind of during the gold rush where alternative rock was, you know, the soup of the day. And it, it and to, for the, to, to your point, yeah, Mark, go ahead. to your point, uh, we all love the Melvins here. And uh, Mike Patton and the Melvins group, uh, they're all friends too. And the, Mel- sure. the Melvins are heavy, but the Melvins aren't hard like this. Like the the albums the Melvins put out don't sound like th- this is crushing. This, this track crushes you. Yeah, for sure. And this is uh, just another example of just the ability to have Faith No More be able to shift gears on a dime. The relax, it's just a phase. You'll grow out of it. Uh, Billy Gould puts on a goddamn clinic during that part. Um, I just fucking love this song. This is great. It it, it jacks me up. I could um, do 50 push-ups to this song. It's it's fantastic. I, I love this song. Um, so, Hold on. Sure. You missed my question before I kicked it to you, though. Didn't, yeah, what didn't, was your question? When we were teens, didn't one of your, our friends tell us that every track on this album was about drugs somehow, which I don't, yes. which I don't think is true, <laughs> but I don't think it's true. And, and I, and I'm kind of more pushing that conversation to a little bit to a uh, small victory. Oh, I get it now okay. because all right. Yeah, I got it. Um, but, um, yes, I think that, um, the next track is something that at least three out of four of us are probably going through at this current moment, and that song is called The Midlife Crisis. was midlife crisis it, this was probably their one of their biggest singles off of this record 
Um, I think that when you look at Midlife Crisis, it's uh, a funky song that has some samples. Um, it is probably the most radio friendly uh, that's coming out of this record. Um, without getting too much into the details, because I don't want to steal any thunder from uh, Eric, who probably also researched this. This is certainly about Madonna, um, the artist, and has some samples from Simon and Garfunkel and the Beastie Boys on this song. Uh, but Greg, you're taking the leadoff spot. Are you going through a midlife crisis? I'm trying to avoid it as best I can. Um, feel like I'm doing all right, I guess. But yeah, this is uh, as far as like singles in general go. And I'm, I'm not generally a fan of the the songs that wind up being singles from from a lot of bands uh but this is this is an exception that like it's you know at the time of course it got it got played a lot and um yeah maybe i avoided it a little bit but uh but it's 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 held up well uh i i do still enjoy listening to it it's got great melodies it's got the signature Mike Borden kind of a beat with the toms and clicking on the rim and, uh, you know, some good samples and everything. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's got, it's got some good melodies to it. Uh, yeah, like it, and you mentioned that it, uh, had some, some Madonna themes in, in the lyrics. Cause I think it was originally called Madonna before they named it midlife crisis. Um, but it's, it, yeah, as far as singles go, it's still, it's a, a pretty cool song. Uh, it's got some, some good parts to it. Uh, it's still heavy. It still sounds like faith. No more, you know, there's some, there's some, uh, Mike Patton kind of uh, more scratchy throat kind of sound. He does some some different uh, vocal stuff that he likes to do in it. And um, not to cut you off there, Greg, but I do feel like this particular song is very percussive in terms of uh, Mike Patton's vocal delivery. It um, is, and it also has very spoon man like type percussion uh, coming <laughs> from the back end as well. Uh, so uh, talk to me about that as a drummer. Yeah, that uh, like first hearing this when I was, you know, 12 years old, it was like, holy shit, how, what is that? How is he doing that sound? And trying, like trying to figure out how to play that on the drums was always very confusing. And of course, that's because it's not all on the drums. It's a sample from the Simon and Garfunkel song, Cecilia, and then the little clicky sounds in the bin, the drum beat. But of course, Mike also, Mike Borden also likes to play, uh, kind of keeping time. Like you usually would keep time on a hi-hat. He keeps time on, on like the rim of the snare and works that into his, his, he has, that's kind that's like his, his signature move. The, the Mike Borden drumming sound, he, he plays a, a beat using a lot of toms and kind of keeps time on the rims of the toms as he's playing. And nobody re else really does that. And th this is one of those examples of like, this is 
you can tell this is Mike Borden playing because that's just what he does. And does um, he do? Does he do that? But, you know, it, does he adds do- to it a lot more by having that that sample from uh, Simon and Garfunkel in there in the beginning. Real quick, Greg, before we move away from what you're just talking about, that's exactly what he's doing on the title track off the real thing, isn't it? In the beginning. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And that's, that's more, that's like kind of doing a, um, in that, uh, yeah, he's just doing like a, a, not a rim shot, but it's, it's like holding the stick against the rim and doing kind of like a jazz, uh, like hitting the rim, but still keeping time on the hi hat. And Yeah. Great. It's not, it's, we have a musician yeah. on the, uh, the podcast now. It's very strange for us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, Greg, uh, you've just earned uh, another dollar on that invoice. Um, nice. so, um, uh, Eric, um, well, actually let's, let's go to Steve actually midlife crisis. Uh, I, I, I mean, I know we're both, you know, getting thin. Tell me about midlife crisis besides holding up, uh, a Soviet um, you know, the single of it. Yeah. What I'm holding up here is a, I, I like this song so much that I bought the uh, single on vinyl. Um, and, uh, now I've, I've, I've always loved this song. And in between, like I said, like I was a, you know, a young faith, the more fan. Cause it's just, they, they were on MTV and I bought the album for my dad for father's day. And then I was like, Oh, this record's great. Um, and then, you know, when you're that young, you don't, most of us back then, yeah, 11, 12, uh, you're getting to the point where you're going to start eventually fall. Like in two years, you'll be following bands in two years, maybe three years. You'll be trying to buy bands, discographies, uh, if you can, when you get your first job. But when you're still that young, you can't, you know, you don't just rush out and buy all the records by this band that you just got into. Um, my point for bringing this up is, is that I remember that was my first memory really when I heard uh, Midlife Crisis on the radio, like Quad 106 or something. And I was like, oh, this is Faith No More, who did uh, the song Epic. Well, they have a new album. Well, that's cool. And I just, it's one of the first memories I have of like a band I like. Oh, here's their new record they came out with. Um, and I, uh, yeah, the songs always resonated with me, even when I wasn't listening to Angel Dust all the time, um, or even into the the album yet, because it is kind of challenging for you when you're that young. Uh, this, this track's always appealed to me. Um, I think this track has appealed to most people. If they, if they know of Epic, they probably know this song too. I think it's a, it's a pretty well-known uh, song of the nineties, like a, you know, you'd probably uh, alternative hits of the nineties. It still might creep on there. It's, 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 it's memorable. Um, I love the drum, the drum tone on this song. I love how the guitar kind of drifts in and out. Uh, Jim doesn't play like a super hard riff throughout the entire song. During the, during the parts where there is a lot of guitar work, a lot of times he's just getting down. Does it breathe down? It breathes down. The riff breathes. I like that. The, the, the riff gets to breathe and drift. Um, but it's still timed perfectly with the rest of the instrumentation. Um, this track has that persistent bass line that is just such a just a, a just through line throughout the entire track. It's just do 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 do. That's uh, that's wonderful. You can't beat the chorus in this one. 
Uh, you're perfect. Yes, it's true. But without me, I'm only you. I'm only you. That's it, once you hear it. If you hear this song twice, you will be able to sing along to this song. Uh, it's it's hooky. Uh, uh, Roddy's keyboard work on it. Mark mentioned sometimes it sounds like he's he's like he just bought a keyboard and he's working all the demo buttons a little bit. I think that's kind of a uh, at the time uh, it was probably cutting edge. I don't think it dates it at all. I think it sounds perfect for this song. I actually love that breakdown where it has what sounds like the best way I can put it is like <laughs> fireworks streaming in that, you know, uh, uh, that's it's wonderful. It has that sweet release of that moment where it sounds like a melodica and Mike Patton's singing about it being a midlife crisis and then it pauses and then the chorus comes back and the, the way this song coalesces at the end where you've got all the instrumentation going on and you've got it, it, there's a layering of the verse, the chorus and the bridge kind of all together singing together as the song finishes. It's a really great song. I think it has great rising action and uh, uh, this song means a lot to me. Eric, I think uh, if we were to uh, have a hair contest, I think you have probably the thickest of us. Are you still going through that midlife crisis that Steve and I are going through? I think it's my midlife crisis that maybe sells that appeal. I've got a, my comb over takes uh, surgical precision in the morning. Thank you for noticing. It's like the opening scene to American uh, American Hustle, if you remember that movie. Uh, but let's let's go on. Uh, I I'm a basic bitch when it comes to Faith No More singles. I, I, I love this song. This song is great. Uh, it's it's up there with my favorite tracks on the record. Um, you know you know for me uh, with like a lot of modern modern rock bands, uh, <laughs> just slap slap in some good pr- production. Uh, uh, take me on a journey. And you're you're gonna get you're gonna get yourself a few brownie points, and this uh, this song is a perfect example of that. Um, as far as it being about Madonna, yeah, kinda. I think there are little blips of lyrics that could apply to anybody that's like looking uh, inward as they get older, uh, dwelling, um, uh, like and dwelling on insecurities. Um, but there is this line that I think is lyric gold. You're perfect. Yes, it's true. But without me, you're only you. And that is very specific to like a pop star who's um, basically needing an audience to justify their emotions. Um, So, yeah, I I do like the song a lot. I think it's, uh, you know, I think it's funky. I think it's uh, one thing I like about Mike, Mike Patton's like rapping on this song is there was obviously a lot more rapping in their early stuff, even Mike Patton's last, like when he joined and he didn't have a lot of direction in that. So this can kind of show you what he would have done with that. He uses rapping as momentum. Uh, he sings, he does big soaring vocals. And then when he does his like spoken word rap piece, it's just to chug, like get that train chugging up the hill, um, which I think is awesome. Uh, and he, he uses it very sparingly. So when you hear of these, like, uh, you know, you'll always hear about these like, yes, Deftones and, and or Limp Bizkit or, or bands that have used rapping. Deftones, not really, but Limp Bizkit, of course, to a, a egregious effect, um, saying that Faith No More was like an inspiration of them. I can see it with the early stuff. Uh, with this, you see him using it very sparingly. 
uh, and making it much more impactful when he uses it. Um, so I think that's cool. And then, of course, the the Beastie Boys sample, we talked about that, which is kind of a sample of a sample if they're sampling a song from Paul's Boutique. But um, I love that little whack, 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 uh, breakdown with that. This is a cool song. I like it. I would, uh, I would I do, go ahead, Greg. I do just want to jump in and, and add to like, I was something I was just reading today, Eric, uh, what you were saying about just like the, the rhythm of the vocals and everything. Like Mike has even said that oftentimes he doesn't even really care so much about what the words are that he's saying, but as long as they sound the way that he wants to make a, a, a rhythm to go along with the music, that's that's more what he's going for <clears throat> than than the actual lyrics, which makes sense. And um, and you you can hear that a lot. And definitely in this song is a, is a really good example of that. And I, I'm sure it, you know I'm sure he's he is still putting thought into the lyrics overall. Sure. But I think he's, he's kind of looking for those words to really emphasize like basically another instrument to go along with the music. Nick, knack, cuddy, A couple, yeah. couple things, yeah. a couple <laughs> things that what Eric said and what Greg said is absolutely Greg. And that's why I think that, uh, well, and I gravitate towards a lot of his work so much is that I've never, I mean, I like a good lyric, but I like the sound of a, a something sung better than, you know, you could say, if it's nonsense, but it sounds great. And that's definitely mm-hmm. something that you could hear. I mean, the whole basis of the band Phantomos is, nonsense words that could be words but they're not <laughs> but it sounds good and um eric to your point about the bands that claim them as an influence especially from the new metal world yeah i could definitely see like your corn and your limb biscuits saying the uh better version of red hot chili peppers that you're going to find on epic influencing them whereas i could see the deftones taking influences from angel dust moving forward makes sense yeah and i and probably more than anything else, the rhythm section, how the, the rhythm, rhythm section is the, the drum and bass interplay for sure. Mark, I think it's to you, buddy. I mean, uh, come on, Midlife Crisis. It's one of Faith No More's best songs of all time. I mean, it's if you were to construct a top five list, Midlife Crisis is on there. Don't 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 tell me otherwise. Don't show me your equation. This is the song that uh makes faith no more faith no more they're great i mean this song is got uh everyone gets a little bit on this on this track uh mike Patton um doing his uh mike Patton things with his percussive vocals um roddy and um just having that demo breakdown where the casio keyboard goes into demo mode for like brasilia or something like that. It's great. It's fantastic. Billy Gould and um, Mike Borden are in the pocket. <laughs> that fucking term. Um, and then, of course, uh, we got Jim Martin doing his battle station from uh, Bill and Ted um, on this track. Uh, for whatever reason in the video, we have Mike Patton like throwing a shovel around um, <laughs> and looking like a goddamn piece in that in that in that video uh i mean uh chino moreno took note he was writing in his notebook about how to dress from this video i I would say i would say that this era of mike Patton, not only is this musically influencing a lot of people absolutely most definitely a lot of 
hard alternative, hardcore New Jersey hardcore bands from this time <laughs> are going to adopt the uh, and some new metal bands are going to adopt the gas gas station attendant look, and uh, it's one hundred percent it works. That it works in spades. <laughs> uh, I I feel like uh, midlife crisis. While it had the working title of Madonna, uh, this became like a new version of epic for them um it was just i mean mike Patton was 24 at this point in his career and uh my god uh songs and achievement i love midlife crisis it will always be one of my favorite faith no more tracks of all time it really it really doesn't i mean i guess when you read about the band enough the fact that he was so young is talked about but it, it's really baffling that they held it together so much with how young he was uh, you definitely, for the first record, you see a very excited guy that's kind of a shit stir trying to figure out how to act in the public eye. And then as they get weirder through the nineties, like, I don't know when I was in my twenties, I don't know if I would have been, uh, able to, uh, put out work this good. I couldn't, I got fired from a record store. I mean, uh, I, uh, just to keep things moving along, I think we should talk about the, the plight of the middle American working man. Uh, when we talk about the song RV. Consider white trash in America. Someone that lives in Kansas or was uh, an extra on the show Ozark, um, streaming now on Netflix, not a sponsor. 
But I will say that RV puts Mike Patton in a uh, uh, a Bart Simpson where he needs to wash himself with a stick sort of character. And I think RV is one of those songs. Um, I also think that this is kind of a David Lynch thing, which Mike Patton was a general fan of. Greg, you're hitting lead off. Tell me about RV. Yeah. Um, like you said, uh, I, I remember it because I, I watched some of that uh, that long making of documentary too. And, and Mike talks about how he was just uh, basically like the neighborhood that he lives in was very, he described as very like white trash and, and pretty run down. And he would just like sit in the car and, and just like watch people and write lyrics about like the people that he saw walking around the neighborhood. And that's, that's kind of how this song came about. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I remember first hearing this as a kid, um, and, uh, and just, yeah, thinking it was, it was funny. It was like, after the first three songs of the album being pretty, pretty rock heavy this is uh this is a relief from that some nice comic relief um and kind of a surprise in the the style that it was done it was like you know wow okay faith and more can do some some different stuff and um and it it seemed you know it's a a bit of a a shocking choice at, at first hearing it but um but yeah they uh they really did a, a unique style. And, and like, this was, this was really kind of the beginning of them showing that like they could pretty much go wherever they wanted to go as a band and still um, make something awesome and make something that was, that really uh, they pulled, they could pull off basically whatever style of music they wanted to do. And um and yeah, I, d- I just remember thinking this was hilarious. You know, his his Mike's vocal delivery of this character, um, and uh, but the style of music otherwise, like they they're all locked in with each other. Uh, this was kind of what they called the the country western song uh, when they were still working on it. Um, that, that documentary that they, they have all kind of like code names for things. And they would, they would call this the, the country Western. And, um, if you really listen to it, uh, Roddy's keyboards on this song are, are fantastic. Like it, it's his, his whole performance through this whole song is, is great. And, uh, and Mike Borden does a, a really good job of like, just giving this great kind of like country feel to it. Um, and, and Mike's vocals and, and his characterization on top of it are just like the kind of the perfect thing for, for showing, uh, similar to like, like you guys have talked about with Romstein, um, showing that they, they have a sense of humor and uh, this is where it really comes out. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a nice kind of a if you're st- if you're listening to this album, expecting, you know, whatever you're expecting after the real thing. And um, and hearing this as as the fourth track on the album, it's uh, 
it's like, okay, well, I, I don't really know what to expect. There's, there's going to be all kinds of stuff on this album. And, uh, yeah, yeah, this is, uh, still very different, but still, um, but still faith no more as we have come to know them because they, they continue to come back to, uh, styles like this over the years after this, but this is kind of the first show. Well, maybe not. I mean, it, maybe they did something like this in the real thing, but, but still like, this is like just showing that they, they can have some, some real variety in their sound. So yeah, I, I love this one. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, Eric, um, are you uh, digging this candy colored clown? They call the Sandman uh, that uh, I feel RV uh, really uh, tries to nail in. Well, I think if we're going to, if we're going to reference David Lynch, I think more aptly, it could be a character in like wild at heart or living in, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the trailer park in fire walk with me. Or if you've been privy and you can find it on YouTube, David Lynch made a cartoon called Dumbland about the, the, the most dingus family of white trash people killing each other every episode. That would, that would definitely uh, work for this. Uh, to me, it also paints a picture of like the guy from seven that drowns in his own plate of spaghetti. Um, <laughs> just this very nineties, grimy pastiche of, of uh, trailer park low income uh low income low morals white people um it is a bit of a waltz this is you know it's like uh it's like the cool down song in the middle of a of a uh uh you know a hoedown um and yeah mike patton's playing a character talking through it i mean i do find it kind of like a nice little break it's engaging uh but it does pick up for the choruses and it has one of the most catchy hooks on the record weirdly on this song so um you know is it one of my favorites no but it's a night it hasn't it, it does its job on the record and it's funny and um and if this was what all mike Patton had to say about lower class uh rural people it's funny but okay but then the next song actually backs it up with some ethos so um so cool. It's a, it's a nice one-two punch. Steven, how do you feel about this characterization of an average Trump voter? What they're describing aside, I find it very interesting that the first track is kind of this catchy but um, madcap track. The second track is hard as hell. The third track is a radio. It's close to a radio hit you're going to find in this out. The, the third track's really like, it's a single. And the fourth track shows how like avant-garde they can be um, kind of run the gamut just in the first four songs here. But I think it all fits together. Well, I don't think it's jarring and I don't get whiplash. Um, I will say that the first 10 times I listened to this record, I liked it. Then the next a hundred times I've listened to it. I really understood it. This record takes time to fit together. I think, um, because of tracks like this, but this track does have a place and it's the uh, fourth song on the record and that's its place. And I think it works well. Uh, the piano work, like Greg was saying is actually very pretty. It's actually very melodic. It's a good melody. Um, kind of reminds me of talking heads. Um, the, uh, 
the whole Western vibe here, I feel like the late 80s, early 90s had a lot of this like fascination with uh, a New Mexico style West like this. Um, uh, shit. I'm forgetting of all my examples. Cowboy Curtis from uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse. I don't know. I, I could. Uh, <laughs> uh, true. I mean, it's it's pretty wide. Yeah. Yeah. For it, sure. You know, it's it's the uh, you know uh, David Lynch, like we said, true stories by the aforementioned Trocking Heads. Um, I I don't know. I I I feel like Western T-shirts and songs like this could be found in the all the indie pop section of the record store. Um, I mean, Back to the Future Three was already there, released. There you go. You know, um, I feel like that's something that Eric's jump in and back me up on with some more examples, and I'm kind of pissed off he didn't. Well, but- <laughs> well, I was gonna say like, what's the what's the Bruce Springsteen '80s album where he's got a bolo tie? Like, I there feel like go. that that might be an example. That's it. Yeah, that's the one. That's a uh, the Tunnel of Love. There's Tunnel of Love. Tunnel of Love. Yeah, an underappreciated <clears throat> without the E Street Band. Yep. Uh, yeah, so this song is kind of a weirdo, but it is still pleasant to the ears. But I gotta say, that uh, that part where it gets all heavy with the goddamn guitars and the uh, the organs and he, uh, the, the singing about I'm a swinging guy, throw a belt over the shower curtain rod and swing, toss me inside a hefty bag and put me in the ground. Um, old twi- also verbatim in Steve's uh. Yeah. uh the last will and testament. Yeah, uh, young Mike needed therapy. That's for sure. It's interesting wordplay. So <laughs> I like RV. It's a, uh, it is a weird one. It is a weird one. I mean, at first I was wondering if I actually liked this song when I first heard it, it was one of those. All right, let's go to the next one. Uh, but over time it has grown on me. Like you wouldn't believe it's like a fungus. It's <laughs> like a yeast infection for a guy. I, I really like this song quite a bit. It is a fat guy sitting in a trailer eating horrible food, watching horrible TV, maybe beating his kids every once in a while or abusing his wife. That's what the song about. That's a whole, I would say, culture in America. We're working class, white trash Americana. This is coming straight from the horse's mouth, Mike Patton. And, uh, you know, it is one of those things that, uh, you know, as we look at 2023, as we go into an election year, we look around of what people are doing and saying. Um, not a lot has changed from 1992. Um, Mike Patton, I, I love the fact that he was able to be this uh, looking into the future and seeing how middle America, um, who are, you know, uh, not the greatest uh, representation of America, but they seem to be the representation of America. Um, they hey, we have we have an Iowa boy here. We have an Iowa. Oh, boy that's here. right. Watch your that's right. Watch your mouth. <laughs> I, I forgot. Uh, we yeah. are three out of four. Is like uh, you know agreeing. Uh, you know, as Greg lives in the Redlands. Now, where my hey. fucking family have a stake in government in that in that goddamn state, it, it, at least not born and bred. And that Eric informed me recently that you do actually have some family ties to our former former governor here. 
Um, yes, uh, Terry Branstead. Uh, he yep. is uh, a family member of where I've actually done a family reunion at the governor's mansion. And he went on to actually serve under the Trump administration. So, uh, yes. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. It's rough. Uh, but <laughs> I will say, RV, the song, uh, it is what it is. I, I like it, but it did take a little bit of time for it to grow on me when I realized what it was trying <clears throat> to do. Um, with that, it is time to get smaller and smaller. As Ant-Man would say in Quantumania. songs that uh, is certainly a seaside in um, Faith No More's discography. And I, when I say seaside, it's not to say anything about the quality of this song. It is how the band actually feels about this song because they never really yeah. play the song live. It is a big song. It has atmosphere for days. Um, it has some thrashy moments where I'm sure that Steve's sleeves on his t-shirt uh automatically fell off as he was listening to this song um but i i do like smaller and smaller but to get more in depth on this greg tell me are you getting bigger and bigger or smaller and smaller i've i'm getting older so i have constantly been getting smaller and smaller just like everybody um we're not just talking penis size here i just uh clarify oh, well, oh! That case, yeah, I would say the other direction. Um, no, and this song, it's like it's it's funny because it never it it's like it doesn't stand out in my mind oh, it, when I think of this album, and yet it is still uh, such a, a great one. Um, I know my brother has told me this is one of his favorites, and he's always wanted to to try to cover this one. Um, it's my favorite part about, about this song is the, just the sound of the chorus. Um, it, it's got great Mike Borden drums throughout. 
lots of toms as usual. Um, and kind of leaves me with a similar feeling, I guess, to, uh, like caffeine. But, um, but that chorus is just so, it's the way that, that Mike screams the, the words along with the, uh, the guitar riff. Um, and the fact that the, the chorus itself, the vocals, uh, are really just the word bite four times. And that's really all it is. And there is still so much, um, I don't know. There, there, there's just so much, like you said, atmosphere and, and, um, kind of this big, like open feeling in that, in that chorus that really, that's always what sticks with me with this song. And, uh, yeah, I, I love it. it it's, it's kind of, it's a bit slower. It's, it's not as readily engaging or, or accessible, I guess, as, as some of the other songs, but it, it is still something that always, uh, that I, I always love it. And I love just like waiting for just the feel of that, just the kind of the power of that, that chorus, the way that really hits the way that Mike screams the word bite and just like holds that out. Mm -hmm. And then does the, the one that's just like the really high, screaming Mike Patton bite and uh yeah it's uh it's great it's and it's got kind of a a weird little like time shift breakdown with this kind of um you know some drums and some weird little like um kind of chanting sounds and stuff and then and then it comes back into it for the end and um yeah yeah it's uh it's still a good one that I, I often kind of forget about, but is is still uh, enjoyable and still sounds very much like like their sound. I mean, that's for sure. I mean, it uh, definitely is. I feel an underappreciated uh, track. Um, but Stephen, did you eat the green mushroom to go smaller and smaller? Yes, I ate it, and I I'm down there with the all the Oompa Loompas in the quantum realm there. Uh, it's, it's a terrible movie down here, folks. Um, yeah. What's funny about this song is that they never play it live or they only played it once. One of the two, like uh, some, one of you guys said that and Billy gold said, yeah, it's a great track, but uh, when it comes to playing it live, we have too many mid tempo songs and this one's just too long and it's not very interesting to play live, which just blows my mind because Yes, they have many mid-tempo songs. The majority of their songs are mid-tempo. And I don't know why they, they single this one out as the one that bores them, but you know, what are you going to do? Uh, it's a great track, though. Uh, the bass tone in this track is amazing. Um, I'd say it has some of the best lyrics in the album, which I'll let Eric get into, but uh, paints some kind of picture of like a plight, and it's matched by the delivery very well. Uh, like Greg was saying, the bite, bite, bite part where I'm like, I can't believe in 92 they put this out in a major label. It's just it's uh like the bites are sung in the operatic vocals, but then the that there's that the scream that howl, and it's that staticky patent howl that he will bring back and do and Phantomos and other Fate to More songs here and there. Um, very unique sound. Uh, the intensity of the smaller and smaller uh, just repeated. Uh, people hold me back. That has some of that rhythmic uh, 
percussive vocal delivery. Um, the song has a very epic scope to it. That whole breakdown where there's like Roddy brings in a sample of somebody kind of chanting and then he brings in some of his new wave synths and uh, Billy's bass line. I would have loved to hear more from Jim Martin after Faith No More. Uh, He decided to go uh, (laughs) and competitively grow pumpkins. He's uh, one time he won. He he grew the biggest pumpkin in California. I hear that's what Jim Martin does these days. But he was a he was a great guitar player, not only when he was rocking out, but he could get some really good sounds out of the guitar. Good atmosphere. Um, This song is a sleeper classic on this record. I really like it a lot. I mean, it's great that, uh, you know, he's in the pumpkin game. um, And uh, apparently they were doing the inverse of going smaller and smaller. Um, Eric, what do you uh, think about going smaller and smaller? Mark, before I get into my thoughts, hold up that that big old drink for me real quick. Just just hold that. Hold up that bad boy. Is that look at that frosted mug? Is tell me that's a, a McDonald's Batman <laughs> Batman Forever mug. Frosted Batman Forever mug. Look at that bad boy. Oh wow. It's it's not oh. there's no two face etched oh. uh 3D wow. on there. I know. Okay, okay. I, it is one of the You flashed yeah. it for a second there and I was like, did he get him? Did he finally get him? I know you've been working on that for a while. <laughs> Can I persuade you to take a sandwich with you, sir? I'll get drive through. Yeah, they're out I know. there. I do. I mean, anything that has hold me, thrill me, kiss me, kill me on the soundtrack, I feel like right. I need to represent. Sure, 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 sure. Uh, getting smaller and smaller uh, is it, I did news to me that the band isn't crazy about it. I, I like this song. I think this is a cool track. Um, a lot going on. Uh, Mike Patton's screams and howls, as you mentioned, are great. I really like those. Once again, he's using his little rapping as just kind of like a bridge, like he's using it sparingly to keep the momentum up. Um, and then I honestly, I don't have a lot to add, Steve. I had the same notes as you, the bass breakdown with the chant samples, uh, awesome kick-ass solo. And then, uh, Steve, I know in the writer's room, you mentioned this and I don't know if it was this song, but how we both love when a solo continues into a chorus. So the chorus comes back in, but the solo keeps going over it. That happens at the very end of the song, which I think is a very cool touch. This song is like, it's weird and intriguing. I I think it's, it's cool. I like it. Um, Yeah. The song is something else. Uh, I think the working title for this song was uh, uh, the Arabic song. Um, It, it certainly has sort of a middle Eastern vibe to it at certain points. Um, And Mike Patton puts on a clinic again for his vocal performance. Um, it's an undersung song, I feel, on the record. Um, it is something that the band themselves never really were attached to in the sense of playing it uh, regularly live, um, which is a disservice to the song. Um, I don't think that it overstays its welcome. I think that it's uh it's one of those deep cuts. If you know, you know. And that was smaller and smaller. But let's get into the next track, which is Everything's Ruined.
so that was Everything's Ruined. It had, I think, if Kanye West was to uh, get on this podcast, he would say it would be the greatest video of all time because it didn't cost more than $5 and they were still able to nail the landing. Greg, is everything ruined? Well, with this song, no, because personally, I have to say that this is actually my favorite song on this album. Um, and really, uh, since you mentioned the video, it, it's my favorite video off the album, too. Um, you know, we'll, we'll talk to about it a bit more when we get to uh, A Small Victory, which is the other big video off of here. But um, but yeah, this this song really has so much of what I, I love about Faith No More. Um, again, the, the signature uh, Mike Borden drums with one of the grooviest, like, Tom and snare beats. Um, and I, I, I will mention, too, that uh, I, I, now I should have said before, but, I, you know, as I'm planning to cover a lot of the songs on this album, I... I have decided that I am going to do one of the songs off of this album to coincide with whenever that you guys actually release this episode. So uh, I, I will try to get that done soon and, and try to oh, that's match that up. Awesome. So that we, you got, you got four months, release you got four, you got, you got, you got four <laughs> months to, to prep for it. <laughs> Eric, Eric, all right. Eric stumbled Plenty. all over himself to grab that low hanging fruit that I wanted to go for, but yes. yeah. <laughs> Plenty of practice time, but yeah, uh, yeah, I, I would love to to do another one of the songs off of this album to to match up with uh, with this this episode. Um, but yeah, this is you know, I did I did kind of do some comparisons and everything, to, but this this song really is always something that I come back to, and it's kind of surprising, but it's just it's always that. I mean, I'm a I'm a big fan of satire. the The lyrics in this song are definitely satirical. Um, it's got all of the the great things that you can love about a Faith the More song. The great Borden drums, really good keyboard parts, uh, a Jim Martin guitar solo, really cool uh, Mike Patton vocals with some different styles, and uh, it, it's just it's great. It's great to listen to. Like this is. I know there are so many examples of this that I've heard since then, but at the time, this was the first song that I that I heard and noticed that the the lyrics didn't really match up with the way that the song sounded. It was like, huh, he's singing "Everything's Ruined," and yet it sounds kind of happy and like everything's good. And that that was the first time that I really remember noticing that that a song had that kind of uh disparity and uh but yeah again so many artists have have kind of done something like that but that was something that i that really stuck with me at the time and i i thought was really cool um and um but yeah this this is just it's a it's a great song it's another one that i mean it was um one that they made a video for and was kind of a, a single off of the album, but um, but I feel like it's it's not nearly as well known as as a lot of their other their other singles, um, but it's still 
it has so much of what Faith the More is, and especially when you take the video into account, it has so much of their uh, their their real personality and their their sense of humor in it. And uh, yeah, it's just it's a lot of fun, um, and it's it's got some it's got some great stuff in it. Um, and yeah, play, trying to to learn to play that that Mike Borden groove in it is is a challenge, but it's you know uh, about the most fun you can have playing playing the Mike Borden style. It's uh, it's a good one. It certainly is, Eric. Um, just as most waiters tell you, a penny won't do. Are you uh, feeling that you uh, are digging? Everything's ruined. Are you playing a tip with a penny? Just a shiny copper piece, boy. Thanks. Um, my God. Uh, we eat on a budget. We we, we eat yeah. on a budget. Uh, it's yeah. understandable. Right, right. Um, so everything is ruined. I actually have the note. My favorite track? Question mark, exclamation mark, question mark, exclamation mark. Uh, maybe a childlike piano riff, which actually works because the lyrics kind of go through the ages every verse. And it starts as a child and kind of compares a human life to money. And at what point are you valuable to society? Um, which I think, that, yeah, I mean, that's that's about as deep as, as Mike gets. And it, 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 that is deep. And it was, it was a good message in 92. It's a good message now. At what point are you valuable? Um, the way that a capitalist society judges such things. Um, and at some points... Every band member seems like they're playing a different song in the same key and then it clicks and then it clicks and the piano and bass are kind of going back and forth, uh, the bass with its notes, but then in between notes, it's slapping and the slapping is playing with the drums. Um, quite a good, uh, interchange. Um, and big sweeping chorus, dope solo. Uh, this one's great. It's a great, great track. Steven, are we, are you ready to monetize your kids on, on this track? I, I wish, I wish they could pull their weight around here. Um, yeah, this song, I mean, this, this one's always been, if I've listened to this album countless times, I've probably listened to this song a hundred times more. And I've listened to this album. I've listened to this song many, many times. Um, might be my it's, it's definitely my favorite song in the album i feel like they this album climaxes right here because of this song um it's probably it might be my favorite faith the more song it's definitely my favorite faith the more video and the song stands on its own but that video like takes it to the next level um i love the fact that the video is a happy accident they didn't have any money left over from the other two videos and they're like ah fuck well we gotta make a video it's 1992 we gotta make a video and so they just went and they stood in front of a green screen and they act like goofballs. And for a band that has so much, uh, I mean, there's a level of, uh, shit. they went to great America. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. If, maybe did they do it at great America? That'd be awesome if they did. Um, but for a band that has so much like tumultuousness to them with all the different singers and the, you know, uh, you know, then, then after this, they go through guitar player after guitar, uh, two guitar players, actually three, if you got the live guy. Um, Faith the Mar always had a level of chaos to them. 
but they also still had a good time. They were funny guys. And this video is really funny. Um, and I remember, uh, our, our friend Jason, we, uh, one of us had a copy of the VHS who was it? Who cares a lot? Question mark. It had all their videos on it. And I remember the first time we found this video, it was on that VHS and a couple of 18 year olds, uh, probably not of our right minds in the middle of the night, stumbling upon that video for the first time was, uh, a very happy memory. Um, also in that video to Mark's point before you've got the continuing adventures of young Mike Patton looking like a, uh, a, a good looking young man who could pump your gas. And that's not a metaphor. Um, wearing the Reese's pieces shirt. And, uh, yeah, but the song itself, uh, the song, it's got that, that happy bounciness to it, but the way that just everything kind of like everything's produced perfectly on it. I feel that it just sounds pleasing to your ears and as pleasing as it is to your ears. Yes. It's a satire. The lyrics are great. Um, that uh, we're like ink and paper numbers in a calculator. Again, the way he delivers that part has that, that, that percussiveness to the vocals, uh, that delivery about, uh, you know, when he spent himself. Um, I just, I, I love, I love all these different styles of singing on this one. Again, a penny won't do no to Mark's point. Um, but he made us proud. He made us rich. This does have some of his best lyrics on the album. Yeah. The bass line. Uh, when the chorus hits is great. The bass line in general, that section where the bass line kind of has a little little bass solo, doom, doom, doom. Then Jim's solo, one of Jim's better solos on a record that has some great solos. Going through my notes here, we, you guys covered a lot of it too. I just, I, you know, it, it's one. It's always been one of my favorite songs by them. It is my favorite song by them. I. uh I don't have much more to say besides I just really love this song. It's hard for me to put into words how much I like this track. Yeah, I'm 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 right there with you, buddy. I mean, this song it just encapsulates like just the bonkerness <laughs> of uh, Faith No More. <laughs> it's baby Billy bo- Bible bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> in this in this song and it, the video encapsulates that feeling so perfectly i mean it, you got billy gould dressed like a soviet <laughs> union like soldier <laughs> yeah they like they just rate they got some uh, a couple of them are wearing costumes and they're on green screen <laughs> and then and and they're playing and just like images that have nothing to do with the music are behind them and then during during the guitar solo part, like a giant turtle appears in the background and all of a sudden they act like they're being chased by the turtle. And then it goes like there's an underwater scene and they pretend they're swimming. Uh, it's just so it's like if a bunch of kids played in front of a green screen. It's wonderful. It, it is wonderful. I, I feel like I've shown this video to my kids to try to like radicalize <laughs> them on, on Faith No More. But for whatever reason, it's it's not taken. <laughs> I, I don't know. This this video is pure joy. The song is pure joy. Um, like the fact that there's kids like lip singing along is just fantastic. It is one of my favorite Faith No More songs because Mike Patton is 
like just winking at the camera, um, wearing his Reese's Pieces orange shirt. Um, it just it, it really feels like the band is just all like fucking Roddy Bottoms, like Keytar. That's like, right. Everything about this fucking video. Yeah. By the way, Mike, Mike Patton looks like Mike in this video. Mike Patton looks like about fifteen people we knew in the late nineties to early aughts. It's yes. just such yes. a vibe. <laughs> Yeah, Mike Patton it's actually, actually sure. you know, he's one of the like uh, top ten people in music that actually pulled off a goatee without looking like a shithead. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I mean, like of all of the bands that Faith No More uh, went on to influence, just fucking didn't get the joke when it came to this video. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it's just so funny that like the. You know, we'll we'll get to a small victory in a little bit, but like the the um, the money that went into the video for small victory, and the way that that video turned out, which we'll talk about. Um, in comparison, the fact that they spent no budget on this, and it shows so much more of like their actual personality yes. and the way that they are actually like having fun together. Like that, it's just. It says a lot that, that 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 you can see that they're actually like, you know, just goofing around. It's like watching a video, uh, an episode of uh, Garth Marenghi, and uh, <laughs> yep. there's no, there's no quality at all to like the editing, and uh, they just don't give a shit. They put nothing into it. They just wanted to have some fun, and uh, and it's it's perfect. It's just perfect for like showing you who Faith No More is. And uh, yeah, it's it's just such a contrast from this to what the label is actually like. Oh, we want to put all our money into this other thing that doesn't really work too well. Um, yeah, yeah. They, uh, anyway, yeah. A part in this no. a part in this song that always gives me uh, the goosebumps, and I can't even remember the words to it. Uh, for some reason, I can never uh, pick up this lyric, but. Um, it's that 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 part that's right before the. I don't know if it's part of the code, like the. And dun 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 dun. You know that part? I'm saying right there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Do you do you get that part I'm talking about? Because that part's great. Yes, 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 I do. Well. Uh, I mean, like everyone gets a little bit of, of a taste of the pie on this on this fucking song. It's it's so good. It's so good. I, if, I love. I, have to, I, I love everything was ruined. I, I would say that uh, out of the five of them, the bass playing on this one's my the part that stands out the most to me. I think it's just the bass tone, yeah. the bass work, wonderful. All right. As Steve Harvey likes to say, it's time to cut the tape. Things are getting a little long and no one wants to sit through what uh, I'm looking at right now in the editing bay, about a three and a half hour episode. Uh, We thank you for making it this far. So it's time to flip the tape. It's time to flip the cassette tape, that is. Back in the old day, we would take a little bit of a pause. Maybe you uh, arrived to your destination. You'll listen to the rest of the uh, album later. And that's what we're going to metaphorically do. We're going to listen to the album a little bit later. 
So we'll pick up right in the back half of Angel Dust, and we will talk because, my goodness, you bring a fourth person into the equation and uh, we just go onto the distance forever and ever beyond where the horizon can be found. Uh, so until the next time you hear us yammer, Greg Walgast, our awesome guest, uh, he posted a video on his uh, channel. It's in the show notes. Go check that out. He's doing a cover of Everything's Ruined. Uh, yeah, it's a great time. And until then, just as Uncle Baby Billy says, Go outside, nerd. Get out. Go. I ain't got time to be distracted by your worthless chime ins. Go on. That's right. We hope that we brought you closer to Pod. Dust, you pick. Till next time, this has been Mark. Steve and Eric are somewhere in the ether. Good day. After these messages, we'll be right back.